Also, what do y'all think of machine elves? Do they count as aliens? What? <laughs> what are machine elves? I'm a very lead on that letter. Uh huh. Machine elves? This is a thing. Machine elves. Machine elves, also known as fractal elves, self-transforming elf machines, or Jenny, is a term <laughs> coined by the late ethnobotanist writer and philosopher Terence McKenna to describe the apparent entities that are often reported by individuals using tryptamine-based psychedelic drugs, especially DMT. I would tell you all about how I started collecting protection money in elementary school. Mm. Rob. I'm going to have to go Rob, get a beer, uh, and then Rob, this, you can start. Oh, you got to do this. Rob. Please, Patrick, elaborate. get your beer. <laughs> it, it's Wednesday. Yeah. It's, happy Volunteer Day, everybody. Patrick left. People the, sure volunteer their cash to me. Shouty wanna fuck. Shouty exactly. likes it There was a beautiful. Thing. She got a big... Juicy butt. <laughs> a big round wet. <laughs> I wish I had the lyrics in front of me. And then uh, Clayton gets possessed, and then there's a lizard, and they defeat him, and a heart is released. Uh huh. Um, oh, I just Tarzan. watched that movie, that Tarzan movie. You know that whole soundtrack is just Sting? I thought it was Phil no, Collins. No, it's Phil, Phil Collins. Collins. Yeah, I was going to say. That's right. I Phil it's weird. Yeah. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Should let this happen. Yeah. Oh Lord. <laughs> you didn't even. Anyway, Tarzan says. <laughs> what? Just breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth. In through the nose? Douche to douche to douche. That's not how it. How's that not how it goes? It's not Classic how it opening. Goes. Your husband's a werewolf. I'm sorry. It's the truth. Hate to break it, it to you, lady. Yeah. But, uh, this witcher is you know, adopted a very weird up. accent. <laughs> it's Did me. you know Geralt New is York from Brooklyn? Yeah. I'm a New York witcher. The New York witcher. What you got? You got alligators in your source? Take care of them. No problem. <laughs> I'm what not sure the wear? New York Witcher is actually going wear? out and slaying anything. He sounds like he maybe just complains a lot. I got a guy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> if you feel hopeless in this moment or feel like you're not sure what the solution is, like, one, if you're listening, you're not alone in that. That is not a – I don't think that's a moral failing to look at this and go, like, what the fuck do we even do? I think that is a completely human and and I think that's a that's a great first step response because I think that it recognizes the our, our individual smallness and our individual uh, um, uh, inability to change this this thing uh, by ourselves. If one part of your follow-ups isn't, and like, and, and what sacrifice was that for the people? What were the conditions they were doing that in? They might not give you a real answer, nope. but they're not even going to think about it. They're not even going to care about it if there aren't people out there putting some measure of pressure on them. This is a world where things are happening and nobody's going to tell you why they mm -hmm. have their reasons. Fuck you for asking. You know what I mean? Like, like this is a world of silent gods. 
Well, oh, yeah, Mina. 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 I see. And Mina, like the Minotaur of the maze. Got Wasn't you. that Minotaur you fucking trapped nerds. in there? Jesus Christ. That's Patrick left, I think. God damn it. Uh, okay. I, I just, Mina really just bases all of her arguments on logic. I no, see. it's not emotional it's not for emotional. her. When she wants dinner, it's based on like a logical assessment of the last time she's been fed. What's good, Internet? It's Austin here with a short message uh, for whatever the special magical package of clips that Kato has put together uh, is. I've not heard it yet. I'm looking forward to it. I have complete trust in Kato. Um, and I have a lot of thanks for you for listening for all these years. Uh, you know, it was it was four years ago now um, that I first almost almost to the month uh, that I first started looking at Vice or really Vice started looking at me and, and we started having conversations uh, Conversations. Uh, Joel Fowler reached out to me and from there one thing led to another and soon enough uh, I was here and Danica was here and Patrick was here. Thanks for listening and obviously we were joining Mike Diver who'd already been here doing good work and it wasn't too long after that that Danielle joined. Hey everybody thanks so much for listening. Love y'all and Rob just wanted to say thanks for listening and well done then after that you know natalie came on board thank you for listening and then kato who really stepped up and uh, who's making this right now and who's done so much for us thanks for listening and then you know gita who i think as soon as she started felt like a missing piece uh being kind of filled in for all of us just got here but Thank you so much for listening to this podcast for 300 episodes. It's crazy. Um, I hope you listen for 300 more and that I'm on all those episodes because I love being on the podcast. And I really love that you guys have been so welcoming to me. Thanks so much. You know, bit by bit, you know, the Waypoint that you know and love um, became Waypoint. Uh, and Waypoint has changed a bunch over those years. Notably, I don't work there anymore. Well, I, you know, I do I do Waypoint Radio, but that's it. I'm not in the vice offices anymore. Um, uh, now, none of us are, given the, the situation, which I think makes this all uh, even clearer and starker in our heads a little bit. Um, you could hear literally as I record the sound of a, of a siren outside from my apartment. Um, uh, so I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's come with us on this journey. Um, it's been really difficult in times, really challenging to try to do something like this. Um, you know, I go back and I read some of those early notes that I wrote about like what our goals were and, you know, I'm glad I was ambitious. <laughs> I'm glad we had big vision and, and, and kind of uh, broad goals because it's always better to overreach and then, and then have to have to adjust. But boy, did not know that I'd the world we would be walking into uh, in mid-2016 when we first kicked everything off. Uh, here we are today, and what I will say is we couldn't have gotten through all that we've gotten through without your constant support, um, without without you you know telling us how much the show means, um, without you adding your own voices. Uh, you know, uh, shout-outs to the incredible teams uh, that moderate our forums on our Discord. Um, shout-outs to everyone who has ever shared <laughs> anything of ours on, on Twitter, on social media, on Facebook, anywhere else. Uh, anyone who's ever stopped me today, I was walking down the street uh, to, to... It's a whole story I was trying to get a fan my fan broke i know i have an air conditioner i can put the air conditioner i i know it's a whole thing i was trying to find a fan i shouldn't have even left my apartment but i my fan broke it's a whole thing anyway i saw a fan in the street i saw an actual person who who reads what i write and listens to the podcast who said hi so hi to that fan uh also i was looking for like a like a so i have this i have a fan it's called the vornado which i didn't i didn't name it that it's just called that and that's just the truth and it broke i knocked it over 
during my Stellaris stream the other day. I was muted. You didn't hear it, but I knocked it over and it, I broke it by mistake. Because it's not, it's not, so, oh, this is spiraling. The point is, <laughs> the point is, uh, the the support that y'all give us every day, whether that's in the streets of New York or through a tweet or just by listening, means the world to us all. Uh, it gets us through so much. It's gotten us through so much, um, and we hope to to carry you know uh, uh, that support forward as we continue to make the show from home for the foreseeable future. Uh, it's a weird world we've stumbled into, um, but I wanted to say thanks again for letting us kind of follow whatever threads we feel are right. Uh, in the moment you know we've we've had versions of the show that are really tight careful you know high-minded critique of a given game uh, or or a given you know british television series adaptation of a jane austen uh book or we've also had really sprawling strange almost you know um stream of consciousness deep dives into the weird corners of the internet and you've been with us there all along uh, no matter what so thank you again to everyone who listens uh thank you to the entire staff here at waypoint thank you to everyone advice who's allowed us to do what we do and i mean that as much for the the crew at motherboard now who we're working with and and as much to the the people who have never come up on a call who've never whose names have never been mentioned there are so many people behind the scenes across the video teams across the uh, management side who have taken shots and let us take shots right uh, let us let us go for certain things um, you know shout outs to the vice janitorial services shout outs to the receptionist and security team at, at, the, at the company there's so many people who make working uh, possible for us um, and right now we're just in a weird place where instead of, of having all that support team around us what we got is our bedrooms so we're going to keep trying to make the best show that we can make uh, again this was not the 300th episode I think any of us envisioned but uh, in some ways it's the most appropriate messy weird thing possible uh anyway I, this message has now gone on to a five-star runtime i hope that's okay kato i'm sorry shouts again to kato for for doing this edit um uh i hope everyone has a safe weekend um and uh a restful one as always fuck capitalism go home peace you can follow me at Patrick Kupik, which has been and theorized. And Daniel, where can people can find you? At Daniel R I. As the origin of the succubus, and of course, you can find me at Common theme of many alien abduction stories. However, for Austin Walker, Austin underscore Walker on Twitter. Austin underscore Walker on Twitter. When reflecting upon his experience, how does Huxley? Aldous yep. Huxley suggested there was I something which he called be good and be I good at it. Holidays. Mind at Large, uh, <laughs> which was filtered by ordinary <laughs> functioning about video games, uh, of the human brain to produce ordinary Our imaginal workplace will take until, uh, center 2018, stage. Danielle, what do we say to the people? I'll be good. Allowing yeah, be good internal data to be interpreted as external Peace. stimuli. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. 
You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It's Friday, March 19th, 2020, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 300. Woo! It's a long road, but here we are. I'm Austin Walker. That is the cheers look, of look, Ricardo we've Contreras. Been, congr- you know, congr- congratulations to us. We made it to 300 years. We gave What's ourselves our a staycation. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> that, was our, that was our reward, exactly. Uh, obviously, the voices of Patrick Klepik and Rob Zachney joining me also. Oh, man. How, how are y'all doing? How is, how, is, how is Monday treating you? Today's today's Monday. Today's Friday. Friday. See, yeah, I'm gone. Uh, I'm <laughs> off it. I I legitimately this morning had a like this only happens like I rarely take vacations that are like a full week. That's like maybe like once or twice in my lifetime. But like that time where you can like you don't know what day it is. Like you've yep. actually managed to just like get in that zone. And that happened this morning. I was like, oh cool, it's Fridays. That usually means we're like watching a movie. I was like. Nah, it's Wednesday night, buddy. Like, what yeah. are you? What are you doing? Like- <laughs> oh no! Yeah, that's it's weird. It's so weird because I think so much of my time where I just like I do not leave the apartment is weekends because I don't push myself to go out to a cafe and do some work, or I don't push yeah. myself to go do errands on the weekends. Like, I'm not running to the bank on a Sunday. You know what I mean? Most Sundays, <laughs> at least. Um, uh, and so it just it completely tricked me this week. Um, how's everybody holding up generally? Everyone's feeling all right. Everyone's stressed. Eh, Everyone's exhausted. Eh, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, weekends are, uh, like harder because mm. so during the, during the week, this is the first week, uh, we pulled Jessica from daycare. She went for one day on Monday. We went there. There were like four other kids and my wife looked at each other. Like the moment we left, we were like, mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't want to be in a position where like we're asking teachers to like if we're in it like I want these teachers to be paid so it's like on one hand want teachers to be paid mm-hmm. this place should continue to ask for tuition from me and I'm I'm happy to pay it because I don't know what the policies are of this company mm-hmm. on the other hand if they're only coming in because I'm a parent that's saying could you watch my kid don't feel good about that either. So I got these competing like right. ideas in my mind, right? I don't have a clear, like, what am I supposed to do? It's like, you know, shaking a, uh, uh, you know, a, b- a ball to ask for an answer. And so we felt weird about it. And I was like, if you feel weird about it, pull her. And then we'll just go from there. And we just, at some point they're going to shut this down anyway. So we might as well just start the 14 day quarantine, just get her home and figure out what life is like with like her here and our, our work schedules and trying to make it, uh, work. Um, and then last night we got an email from her daycare that was like, hey, so we're shutting them all down and then also we're turning it into a crisis center um, so that uh, if you are a healthcare worker or a doctor and you need you know, care, then you can 
come in and the teachers will watch you there. They also like then waived all of our tuition fees, which I'm also like, you could, if you want, I, I hope you're still paying, you know, like, I just don't know. Like I'll take <laughs> right. the money, I guess. Right. Silver linings. Like I've got yeah, sure, sure. $1,400 um, in an uncertain, you know, economy. But uh, it's like, take that money. If that meant like Miss Paris, my teacher, I love her. Like we'll continue to forgive. I just don't know. So it's like all these weird competing interests and, uh, I don't know, just trying to make the the best of it and hope that, you know, the people you rely on that have jobs where you don't know how much they make can get by. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, that is such a stressful part of this. Um, you know, people in my family who, you know, they don't necessarily work at, uh, so I, I, someone in my family works at a restaurant in a casino or not a restaurant, but like a, like a takeaway food place in a casino. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I'm glad they shut the casinos down. I hope you're, I, what do you, I hope you have savings. Do you know what I mean? Like I, right. I my, my wife had a, fo- a photo shoot for her company and yes. I said, you, if you can do it remotely, you know, like talk to the photographer, then right. you know, I guess, you know, let that guy have that contract. And then there was no way to reasonably do that. Right. So they canceled the photo shoot and, you know, he understood, but then you, know, you see on his Instagram, like yeah. solidarity with my fellow creatives as everyone's losing contracts and you're just yes. like, there's so much in that space that is like, as someone who's a contract writer, thankfully there's not a lot of like deep hands on stuff. And a lot of my stuff ends up being like, Oh, okay. This was approved two months ago. That, that thing is still probably going to get printed in, you know, yeah. November or whatever. But there's a lot of folks who, who I know are working in this, this kind of smaller window where they would have come on, you know, from, you know, uh, uh, March through April to do hands-on work behind the scenes on something. Um, and all that stuff is just shut down because the office is shut down. Like there's a lot of people who don't have stuff where they can just do the work from home. Um, and it is, it is, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever the government ends up deciding, whatever <laughs> goes through the, the legislative mm-hmm. branch, uh, and, and hopefully gets signed into law to help people needs to be able to account for folks like that, obviously to, to account for gig workers and, and, and people who like, can cannot stay in their careers, cannot, you know, make rent at this point uh, based on what little work from home stuff they can do or can't do it at all, you know? Um, That's why Kevin Drum saying just go to the IRS website and say, were you affected by corona? Yes or no? And we'll send an investigative team to Mm -hmm. find out if you lied to us later and we'll take that money back. Oh, fucking God. Jesus Christ. Just, I, yeah. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. Yep. (laughs) Yep. It's fucked up because right now is a moment where it's not even just people are showing their true colors. It's also people being strategic liars about who they are. And mm-hmm. sometimes you want to let them be those strategic liars because you want what they're offering. But you need to yeah, remember. Mitt Romney. Like, right. Mm, but you were but, the first person to just be like, you know what? Democrats are floundering. You know what we should do? Just give everyone money. Just a direct, no means tested thousand dollar check. Just Let's just and like um fuck you, but but also I'm glad you opened this door because (laughs) now it's clear that there would be some sort of bipartisan support. So let's try to make that happen. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's wild. It's a wild. It's been a wild week. Um, I hope everyone out there is doing all right. Uh, Can we talk about video games? Because I want to think about something that isn't the spiraling world we live in. Hmm. I need approval to talk about video games. If people want to talk <laughs> about like, it, we need a quorum. <laughs> I need a quorum. I'm, uh, I'm reaching. Rob, Rob hasn't spoke. Rob, can we talk about video games? Absolutely not. Fuck. Okay. Uh, what are we going to talk about? You made some You're right. Time out. Time out. Time out. In fact, time out because there's something more important to talk about. Uh-huh. Congratulations. Oh, no. Rob Zachney. 
and what? Patrick Klepek for bringing Big Dick Nick into the franchise. Oh. <laughs> Nick Foles has gone to the Chicago Bears. So wow. I was thinking about this yesterday, and Patrick, I think we should feel good because with the upgrades the Bears made to the defense, uh, mm-hmm. signing Nick Foles, there is no doubt the Bears would win the Super Bowl for the 2020 NFL season. Now, sadly, we are probably not going to be able to see the 2020 NFL season. But if you ran the simulation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Bears absolutely win. Uh, Khalil Mack sets an NFL record for single season uh, sacks. Um, But to our detriment, to the detriment of all football fans, we're not going to get to see that. But we know that the Mm -hmm. Bears put together a Super Bowl team and uh, really are going to be dominant this year. And it's just too bad that nobody's going to get to see how well that panned out. Tragic. Tragic. But in our it's hearts the, and our minds. Thanks. I think we yeah. need what we need to do in this moment is to turn to SB Nation's John Boyce and have him run the most accurate simulation possible uh, to see who <laughs> would win. And we get a new trophy. We get like the Boyce hyphen Lombardi trophy out of it. And and I think that obviously goes to the Bears because I think you're right. Those the simulation would see out what you said. Um, I, I would just like to see it. I would just like to see it in video format. That's all. Now, who this might really work out for? I'm really curious to see how this plays out. If the, if there ends up not being a 2020 uh, season, does Tom Brady just spend the entire year just living clean health, good living? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, taking care of that, taking care of that body, TV getting 12. ready, turning back the hands of the hands of time. And yeah, coming yeah, TB Tampa Bay Tom Brady coming out oh uh, to to put a put another ring on those fingers. That's what I'm curious to see uh, how that plays out. Because my suspicion is Tom Brady in Tampa Bay in 2020 does not go well. No, and I would have been real interested to see how that unfolds. Give him a year now to integrate into the system. Uh, mm-hmm. I think maybe he'll he'll be able to turn that franchise around. <laughs> you know, we'll see some some wins that we haven't seen in a while from Tampa Bay. Um, all right, can we talk about Doom, Patrick? Sure. Can we talk about are you? You're allowed. Oh, to talk Rob's about played Doom. way more. Rob should Rob should intro. Oh wait, I didn't know. I had no idea Rob was playing Doom. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've been on Doom. it's unnamed uh, VR project. Uh, oh, I'm playing see. Doom. Shit, oh. everyone's playing Doom out I'm here. Playing. 20, Doom 2016. Oh, shut I was going to say, I don't <laughs> feel like that's actually extremely codes. relevant okay, like, good. to the discussion then, around Doom Eternal. Because maybe if you I'm were gonna... to recommend playing one of them, maybe you would. <laughs> Yikes. This really? is. So I have really weird feelings about Doom Eternal. Uh, and I think, and it's impossible for me to separate those feelings from my reaction to 2016. So let's go back to 2016 for one second and why I Great think that year. game worked so well. Wait. Wait a second. Let's go back to 2016. I mean, this, this is a, a nightmare. Okay, the start, Doom that I guess, was released but. in 2016. <laughs> yes, Doom. Doom yes. 20. Yes, uh-huh, I get it. Let's 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 go back. To there's no waypoint yet. There's no Donald Trump and the president in the in the White House yet. We could change anything. We could do it. We could go back and change our lives. Instead, we we're really, all playing we could Doom. Really figure out that lobby one situation in advance. We could, we could really. <laughs> You know, okay. Here's here's going to be our streaming setup. Let's let's just accept it. Uh, anyway, no, 2016 Doom. I think caught a lot of caught me by surprise, uh, certainly for being as good as it was. But I also the thing that I found really surprising about it was I was utterly charmed by it because it was a Doom game that was very clearly nodding at conventional shooter design. 
right? The the voice in your ear giving you objectives. Uh, the untrustworthy guide uh, telling you what to do, but was clearly up to nefarious ends. Uh, basically, Doom 2016 is looking at Doom 3 and saying, eh, we, we went the wrong direction. This, 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 this ain't System Shock. <laughs> right. This is Doom. Hey, and both can both can coexist, all right? I have a soft spot in my heart for for Doom Three, and I also do too. Doom Twenty Sixteen, absolutely. Uh, but I think this was one of the things that made Twenty Sixteen work really well is that it was unexpected, and largely it was about uh, paring down a lot of the cruft that had built up around single player shooters, and just giving you a really like mechanically tight and satisfying experience that's just focused on uh, combat and managing really chaotic, classic id-style combat encounters. And 2016, that was like, holy shit, I haven't played a game quite like this in a while, and this game is And so- one that's not just like, hey, we're making uh, like a, 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 like an actual old-school throwback game, right? Like, there's plenty of those that have yeah. existed on, where it's like, hey, do you just want to play Doom again? Well, there's like, Doom in a different setting, and they've done really good versions of that, but it was not the case that someone had really cracked the idea of, like, well, how do you do that while, like, reinventing it in, like, a bigger budget atmosphere and, like, making it feel like it's capturing that energy, but, like, contextualizing it in a new way? And, like, 2016 seemed to somehow wrestle that together while also being irreverent and funny and seemingly like aware that it was a like irreverent and funny but like it straddled a very strange line in a lot of ways that it made it feel like i don't know how if they realize how much they accomplished here and are maybe just confused about the game they ended up with which felt like that on the way from bethesda because they kind of threw that game under the bus when yeah. it came out like this was during an era where bethesda was playing hardball with the press not to like put us on a pedestal but was like look Actually, we don't need reviews. We're just going to put our games out there. Um, and with Doom, I can't remember like the – I just remember at the time it was very strange. We didn't feel like they were very confident about Doom. They were just only showing the multiplayer. They were – do that snap map. Snap map. Whatever, snap map. Whatever, uh, was their, their level editor? It snapped something, right? Snap map. It's called oh, snap actually, map. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Anyway, pretty it's all, sure. it's all, all, it all just left Doom in a very strange place where like Bethesda seemed caught off guard with how much people loved the game, I was caught off guard by how much I loved the game. And what, that's what made me so curious about, okay, given all this, what was their takeaway from what worked in Doom? Right. And what would they do with a sequel? What did they learn from this success? Uh, what was the what was your expectation coming into this based on playing like the 73? Did you think going into this, like, all right, they they got it. They got it. They got the basics of what, what was good about that. Um, and, then, and then really the big one is like, did they? Did they? <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's weird. I don't know. I don't know when I got this feeling uh, watching previews and trailers and such, but I I just got the vibe that Doom Eternal was maybe a little too. What's the way to put this? Uh, going back to what Patrick was saying about with twenty sixteen, there's this uncertainty. Did you know what you accomplished here? Like it's one of those unexpectedly good B movies mm-hmm. where you're yeah. not entirely yes. sure. The creative team behind it knew why the the admixture of components ended up being so special, but it just is. Like you're watching the movie and it's it's great. It may be great because some weird decisions were made. It's, it's kind of like a movie that like if you were to look at the raw footage, it's like this is trash. But then an editor comes in yeah. and like saves it. And like Doom in some ways felt like 
stitched together ideas that it, it works. It works somehow. This works. Um, <laughs> but if you were if they say if you were to make a sequel, that same creative team, yeah. like you're not confident they would come away with the lessons learned from the editor that like stitched it all together. Right. And so Doom Eternal, somewhere along the line, I got the vibe of maybe even just from the name, but the ways they were covering it. Suddenly, the stripped down nature of it. The we're just going to give you this, you know, extreme shooter experience. I think began to be the thing I was taking away from the marketing. And that was, that was my fear. Uh, And I think what actually surprises me the most about doom eternal though, as I'm playing it is if doom 2016 was basically oppositional in its identity saying, okay, here's what, here's what a lot of modern shooters are doing. We're not doing that. We're not going to let the guy finish what he's saying. We're going to cut our main character is going to cut the cutscenes off. Our main character is going to smash the widget that he's supposed to use to save the universe. Uh, With Doom Eternal, I am surprised by the degree to which all of that humor has bled out of the experience. Like, Doom Eternal is not charming in that way. Uh, Calling it charmless might be going (laughs) too extreme, but there is none of the sort of whimsy or self-reference that I found in Doom 2016 uh, present in Doom Eternal. And the other thing is now it's not saying now it's not sort of sending up what a lot of other shooters are doing. Instead, it seems to be saying that like, here's our identity. It's pure combat. But with a sequel, you have this problem of, but there's also got to be more. And the solution Doom Eternal seems to have settled on is, what if we throw in a fuckload of systems and collectibles and make you manage all of these systems uh, as, as you play it? And suddenly Doom Eternal ends up feeling surprisingly complicated. Uh, but immediately. Yeah. This, ga- complicated this, game is, this game is hard as... F- this game is... <clears throat> one. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, hard as fuck right off the bat. Um I think it has a really poor opening. Like Doom 2016's opening is an all-time tonal classic. It eases you into the combat. And the combat in Doom is not easy either. Like it is a game that asks a lot of the player uh, psychologically, mechanically, like logistically. Like there's a lot going on. But the the way it ramps that up is is really, really well done. Whereas Doom Eternal... uh, has none of that. It's basically about like 30 seconds of enemies that are just zombies kind of waltzing towards you that don't, are just meant to be like farmed for items, whether armor or ammo. And then throws this spider creature at at you that if you blink, you die. And this is on the normal difficulty level. Uh. Um, And I just found the escalation in, uh, I, I was able to adapt to it, but I was, I was taken aback by how quickly it punches you in the face and not in a charming way, in more of a fuck you way. And then you, and then immediately within the first 90 minutes, I played about two, three hours, um, has layered on, if you were to sit and explain the amount of systems and like uh, uh, upgrade paths that you're dealing with simultaneously, it's like the pure pa- simplicity Patrick, I was, of I was, I was writing this up and I hit that stage where I was like, I need to explain what is happening in this game. <laughs> and the next thing I knew, I was like, well, this is shit reading. Like this, yeah. I can't, I can't, 800 words explaining uh, different upgrade trees. Yeah. Yeah. Everything there, upgrades everything. This is so 
if, yeah, Doom, Doom Eternal takes the position that, hey, you probably just finished playing 2016, right? Yeah. It's it's only been a Credits minute. Credits rolled last week, and you're just ready to jump in the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, glory kills. You got it, right? Cool. Okay. Here's your flamethrower. Here's your grenade launcher. Here's <sighs> here's your Praetor suit. Here's, uh, you know, here's the upgrade trees for your weapons. Here's the upgrade trees for your suit. Here's your runes. Runes give you powers. You can swap them out. Uh <laughs> Also, you've got XP. You're leveling up independently of all of those things. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. And this is the other thing, by the way. And I think this is kind of the sort of slightly depressing irony of Doom Eternal. Doom 2016 is like, ah, all these shooters have all the shit that they don't really need. But we're going to strip it down to the essentials. Doom Eternal. You can see the places where it's like your weekly goals will go here. No. No. Oh, yeah. Is there a battle pass? It's not a battle pass, but there's going to be. I think it's just a reason to like return. Like the, I think the the idea is there are one of the one of the the beats that are like in in Doom Eternal is like there's going to be like unique combat challenges. Like yeah. so, for example, there are things called like timed combat challenges, where if you're like going through a level, certain combat sequences disappear if you don't find them in time as an incentive to go back find secrets and and the, but it also seems like there's going to be weekly things where it's like hey you know go do this go do this combat challenge in this level and yada yada yada. So, yeah, yeah, and and I think I don't think that's necessarily nefarious. Like the game from the first is saying when you've gotten farther in the game, like maybe this challenge will be more fun when you come back with all the weapons. Like, yes, you can go try to do this now with just the shotgun and the uh, machine gun. But man, imagine coming back here later when you get all your weapons and all your upgrades. This will be cool. And also the game is encouraging you to come back and replay earlier levels uh, with you know, harder difficulties, but, and, and and so I end up in two, in two minds about this thing in terms of it, it is very, very fucking hard. Uh, I'm playing it on ultra violence and so you're playing it on a difficulty level above the default. Yeah. Okay. And you're playing Um, presumably with a mouse and keyboard. Yes. Okay. And it is the way I would describe it is, Sometimes there's like uh, the game has different identities to an extent too. Sometimes it feels a little bit like uh, there's a little bit of like exploration platform, first person platforming going on. There's like traversal puzzles. Uh, Doom 2016 can arguably be say that for as much as the combat is what people remember about it, people forget how much of it was exploratory, and it was yeah. closer to Metroid Prime yes. than uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people give it. Uh, you know, would characterize it as like there was there were the part of the great fun of Doom uh, 2016 often was to come in the, the the first pass at a at an area like a big 20 minute sequence was clearing out all the enemies and then it was loading up the map and being like now how the fuck do I get there and then <laughs> the the second layer was walking around looking at the environment what can I jump on what I, yep. what can I do like and you had a limited move set right like you could only uh you could. Could, I think you could double jump in 2016, but like you could only like double jump a, and like not pull. at first. Could you least. not? Sure, but but like but that's like that the the extent of like your movement yeah. abilities. Okay. It was it was like pretty limited, so that um, you there were the possibility space of like what you could accomplish was small enough, but the levels were intricate enough that it made it fun to like pick apart the puzzle yeah. of that. Um, and I I have found at least in the first couple of hours that that dynamic to not be to be imbalanced or not nearly as interesting as it was in the first one. Is it that you aren't 
is it the, the the kind of placement of those secret things, the things that would drive you to go look for them? Uh, is they're just not interesting to find, or is it just is it like laborious to find them I instead think of? It's, it's a little bit laborious. I think there's there's a couple. So there's kind of two classes of this. One is that there's places where the game just comes to a halt and is like, you're going to solve this puzzle now. And the, these puzzles are not usually hard. It's it, this, like, how do you open this gate? And right. there's a few things you have to sort of put together and figure out how to make the gate open. But at the same time, it can sometimes feel like, okay, well, this feels just out of rhythm. Like we were mm -hmm. just like, it got, like, cause sometimes it's just obscure enough that it no longer feels like a, bre a breather, which you do need. It begins to feel like, okay, but seriously, I got to figure out how to make this fucking demon corpse fall off that wall. Uh, that, and that feels a little bit strange. And then there's the optional, like, exploration secrets that you can go find and that really demands you make the best use of your double jump and air dash and the little air dash recharge uh like bottles that are floating around and so like to figure out how you can get to a platform that appears to be out in, in empty space uh but you know somewhere through the level there's there's a path you can travel if you sort of put the pieces together that stuff isn't isn't bad um and I don't I don't mind it but I am surprised that agree to which it's a component of this game uh, but once the combat begins to unfold, it feels a little bit like, um, there's both a tactical element, which is familiar from what we recall about like glory kills, right? How they let you control the pace of an encounter yeah. and let you plan out your next move with a little bit of a, a little bit of a pause. Um, but then the other part of it is there is a bullet hell element to this as well because you are being hit from every side by all these enemies and a lot of them are throwing different types of weapons at you that have different effects and so simultaneously you are juggling like okay the revenant is firing its homing missiles i've got a hell knight who's chasing me down and does this like stomp attack uh that will just like demolish me and then i've got all the like fodder enemies running around who will just do this like relentless chip damage and but you you don't want to kill them all right away because via glory kills and via these other systems like you've got a flamethrower now that uh causes enemies to shed armor while they're on fire um via these other systems those fodder enemies are really valuable for resources you need yeah. to be able to like chainsaw them for ammo you need to be able to set them on fire for armor to survive these encounters um these fights are pretty tough and in the big in, in the in the big battles that sort of tend to bookend the levels um or 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 sort of like both end the level and there's usually a, a mid-level uh giant battle as well these things are demanding enough that like i will see the re the reload screen like a half a dozen times uh before i really figure out like okay this is how I have to handle this. And actually that's fun. Like that's, that is what I want to stress here. I think this, it's a really busy game in a lot of ways. A lot of these systems are, there's a lot to keep track of. Like when these things are off cooldown, you really have to play this game efficiently on that harder difficulty. When you fall into the groove and you're doing all that, it feels fucking incredible. Like this is where doom is at its best. Uh, when you get through these things or when you're down to like one last like terrifying enemy and 
you're in that headspace of like, I think I've done this. I think I've done this. Do not fuck up. Like you've only got one guy left. Do not get <laughs> overconfident and like blow it here. Uh, that is where doom tends to work pretty well. Um, but that is probably the, the, that is pro- maybe the only thing I really find myself loving about this game is how well these huge fights tend to play out and how good it does feel when you were making all these systems work efficiently together, everything outside that, everything that happens outside the the part where they lock you in a room with, a, with you know, with a million demons uh, spread across three or four waves. I'm less sold on. I'm not sure I like Doom Eternal outside of those moments. The story stuff is strange too. part of what made Doom 2016 work. And again, this is one of those when I look back in retrospect, how much was a happy accident and how much was intentional was that if you just played Doom 2016 and never checked any of the lore, any of the codex stuff, um, you just got kind of a goofy, straightforward, pretty rote sci-fi story that had some cheeky moments that was, you know, like kind of like, uh, uh, you know, breaking the wall sort of stuff. It was fine. Um, It worked. And the combat was great. But then what always like made me chuckle was like, Cool. Like when you would check out the codexes, it's like, holy, what the fuck is going on in this world? Like <laughs> this giant high fantasy, multiple races, like space warfare. Like, and I found that to be so fun. It was like, it was actually delightful to be like, I'm look like when I'm playing the game, I'm looking uh, at like the like the the summary on the back of the of the book, and then each of the codexes is me opening the page and being like. J.R.R. Tolkien being like, so you've seen a door. Now here's seven pages on the history of that door. And like that's a little <laughs> bit of what Doom well, 2016 felt like. And whereas uh, I like the fact that it was like door A and door B and like you could ignore door B if you didn't find that part to be uh, fun or, or, or cheeky or, or just like a, a weird construction of how the game was built. Uh, Doom Eternal is like, what if that stuff was forward-facing? We've decided it's mm-hmm. very important, but not important enough to actually put in to, like, the front-facing cutscenes. Like, there's some of that, <laughs> but we're going to put a ton of backstory and mythology into these codexes, and they are everywhere. There are tons of mm-hmm. them, and it's lots of reading and lots of dense reading. Um, it just shows, like, a weird set of priorities it- of, like, okay, you've said that you, this mythology is now very important and the world-building is important, but not important enough to put it front and center and like dedicate the time to contextualizing it outside of these random codexes. It feels to me like somebody started drinking from the uh, FromSoft Kool-Aid while they were Ah. making this game because like remember in 2016, a lot of the lore was being given to you via these really corporate like memos about mm-hmm. like a lot of what you were learning about the universe like okay here's this here's this portal to this demonic dimension but the thing is being written from the perspective of like a, a UAC suit <laughs> right who's being like uh I don't know if I can keep authorizing overtime uh for teams to continue going down there to retrieve the souls of the damned stuff like that <laughs> was like, the, like yeah. was how That's 2016 was related its lore Doom Eternal feels like uh, like a metal band did its concept album. And to understand the concept album, you actually have to understand the 500 pages of backstory on every right. song. So Coheed and Cambria. Yeah, uh-huh. 
great. I don't say that to drag Cody and Cambria. I actually like some of them. But like they, they built out. <laughs> no, I they know. They comic books. They built out a mythology for, and by all accounts, the fans seem to really like it. But it, like, I'm only just saying there is like a band that di- totally did something like uh, that. It seemed to work for them. Did it we, not work? No, 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 no. It, 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 it totally worked in the sense that uh, friends of the site, Jackson and Molly, have a four, currently 48 episode long uh, uh, Coheed and Cambria uh, <laughs> podcast lore podcast called the Amory Score. Uh, so if you're if you if you're like I really need to fucking know, there's 48 episodes. It's on Abnormal Amazing. Mappings thing. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So like, and it, it does bleed over though into the main experience. Like it's not that. Okay, there's all this lore stuff happening uh, in the codex that you don't need to know about. By the way, when you open that codex, you will get just complete downloads of like, so now you're in this dimension uh, where the Argent Kingdom was fighting its de- fighting demons for years. And then the Makir race appeared and they were thought as angels. But were they angels? And, you know, of course, they were not. <laughs> Uh, they, they were, in fact, demons uh, because it is the devil's way to present itself in a pleasing guise. Uh, but <laughs> like when you like so that's all happening in the codex. But then even what's the happening game, in the game. Yeah. OK, there we go. That's in the main game. There are just characters that are like, ah, Doom Slayer, we meet again. And I'm like. Who are you? Gotta Dude, go, like, gotta go get the hell priest, and the hell priest is like, ah, and you're like, who's it? What's a hell priest? Uh, yeah, do, do I know this guy? It's 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 like going to a convention, and uh, like <laughs> colleagues God. that you don't know real well are like, hey man, yeah. and you're like, fuck, I you're see like, this person uh, once a year, and they are, <laughs> like, hey, have you met my friend Rob? Yes. And then you hope that you person ho- yes. introduces themselves to your friend. Yes, yeah. <laughs> who's yes, this? I was going to do that same bit. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this demon here? Uh, yeah. Um, I haven't seen you, you also, since um, Mars. <laughs> <laughs> There's the scene. There is the scene where you find basically a guy who looks like an older, more grizzled version of you sitting mournfully by a fire. And he's got this huge fucking blade. And the game is like the betrayer. This is who you meet. He's, he's the betrayer. And the betrayer turns to you and is like, these are not your people to save anymore, Doomslayer. Why do you fight fate? And I'm like, who is the betrayer? Who got betrayed? Like, why? Who is he? How do we know each other, man? And you read in the codex, like, ah, the betrayer was part of the... uh, God, what was it? The the night soldiers or whatever? The the sentinels were like... The night sentinels. Yeah. Yeah. He was like the leader of the Night Sentinels, who were, of course, of course, <laughs> the elite strike force of the Argent Kingdom. And right. they were the ones who tried <laughs> to deal with Khan Maker when she made her move. Oh, my God. And, this is like, a, this is like Mortal Kombat 5 or something. That's the sort of lore you're dropping on me. But you know what Kombat I mean? Like that might explain what's going on. Like, in no, the but I mean, scene, there might be context. I mean, that bad PS2, Xbox, original Xbox era of Mortal Kombat game. Oh, that when just they were like, doing like Tekken style. Like you can yes. actually move in 3D around the arena. A hundred or like you, uh-huh. you could move in 3D around an open world and the lore was yep. terrible <laughs> because it was just like, let's just keep layering proper nouns on without giving anything time to breathe. This sounds rough. This sounds rough, but like, is it? I, I just like, are you buttoning yeah, through do you it? Yeah, you see a dense mythology, like Mortal, like Mortal Kombat, the, like since they rebooted it and threw Mortal Kombat Eleven was the most yeah. right recent one. Um, that is actually like 
that is how you do, um, like, we're going to take our mythology very seriously, and it's going to be high fantasy and weird and dense, and actually present it contextual. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, Mortal Kombat does it, extre- I, I fucking love Mortal Kombat story. And, like, when I what I loved about Doom 2016, and when they said, hey, Doom Eternal is going to, like, really double down on this, I was like, oh, they're going to go the Mortal Kombat route. This could be really cool. But the way it's presented and contextualized in Doom Eternal show, I think it demonstrates, if not a under, misunderstanding of 2016, like you you are seeing like exposed like a rift in like how this game was designed and differing philosophies on like what any of the importance of any of this, um, or what importance it should take, and where they landed was a messy spot where stuff that was probably supposed to be presented in the game just landed in codexes because of right. XYZ. Yeah. Is, is part of it to that, or I don't know if this was confirmed or not, but you had a theory that they're using this game also to actually uh, cement the unified theory. Like, yeah, is I can't this, like, doing that. They, they <laughs> added, yeah, I've not played through it yet, um, but they, they added an extra chapter to Doom 64, um, and they specifically said there was lore um like did you technically maybe meet the betrayer in doom 64 or some shit and this is why I they're don't expecting i don't know i haven't played far enough and rob <laughs> if you have answers keep your keep your trap shut but they can't be expecting you right the player to right. have they played shouldn't. doom 64 they shouldn't that, but maybe this is what they are doing right is but also idea it's different like, people right yeah. like that's the that's the thing like it's not like it's someone's had some story bible who's still on this team who has been working on this game or on this series for 30 years you know like the new the doom 2016 team what's their what is the carryover from the doom one team at this point is it anybody oh, no they pretty much only was that i think one of the original uh, producers at yeah. uh, or one of the original developers that it software that stuck around after everyone left Continued yeah. to be the studio head for id, but then they left it between Doom and Doom Eternal. Oh, you know, okay. Serves me. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much. I'm they, not, that's not a judgment they, they, on. They, right. Yeah. Right. I, I'm just I, saying. Like, I don't. It. I think doing the fun unified world thing would be very, very, very fun and very funny. Uh, but I don't think there should be any expectation of anyone coming into Doom Eternal to have known anything about Doom before yeah. Doom 2016. Well, except right? except the Doom Eternal, like straight off the bat, Rob, like you know assumes that there's like no setup it's like the game opens cold open earth is on fire and then just hey you're on your spaceship you're on your spaceship spaceship, right there's no not not even like a (laughs) previously like this actually would have been funny if they did previously on doom like if they actually just opened with that it would have been funny and like set set up some of what was going on in doom to like why is this man in a green suit like in a spaceship castle like literally like the game opens with like screams of people coming on earth like radio broadcasts and like these different hells uh signs uh i guess signifying pentagrams. launch station continent spanning <laughs> <And then> pentagrams <laughs> and then it's just like the the camera pans earth moves out of the way and like here is a space castle and here is the doom slayer which when i'm explaining like that sounds so much cooler than how it actually feels in the moment, like me telling you, the Earth is on fire. Earth pans away. Doom Castle right. is hovering above the planet. Sounds fucking awesome. But and just imagine the, the budget of shooter version of that, <laughs> right? Like that is how all of this this plays out. Uh, I, I think the the other thing that is a little bit condemnatory about this game is that while the combat feels good, like 
those fights when you get through them and like switching between weapon modes, um, which is another thing you like on the harder difficulty levels. That is another thing you need to be managing is every every weapon has an alternate fire, but actually has two alternate fires depending on which weapon mod you, you attach to it. So do you want the auto shotgun or the shotgun with the underslung grenade launcher? They have different use cases and in the same fight, you will probably need to use both. And so like the amount of things you need to begin adjusting on the fly begins to approach flight sim territory. Honestly, like the thing that this reminds me of (laughs) is playing uh, a flight sim or F1 2019 or something with like the sheer amount of shit that minute to minute you need to be checking in on like, okay, uh, is that cooldown? Is that cooldown off yet? Uh, Is that weapon up? What's my armor status? You need to be on top of all of this shit. But once you've mastered it, the reward is there. It does feel good. Here's the problem. None of these fights stick out in my mind. I can tell you the combat feels good. But what I can't tell you is like, oh, remember that one battle that took place in the uh, demonic cavern with the (laughs) platforms and the lava? We'll never forget the demonic cavern, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, we fellas. Mm -hmm. That That was great. Remember when the guy with the horns chased you around the rock uh, stalactite with the dude impaled on it? Mm, that was like nothing about this is particularly memorable. And what is there in terms of like the skyboxing, they are going for this like very 40K and very self-referential uh, vibe of the thing. Like you have these ancient uh, like mechanical titans in the distance in one level. Uh, still with spears buried in the heart of like giant demons. But like that doesn't stir anything because that's all like even the lore doesn't even explain what are you looking at there? Like what what remains of an ancient battle are here? It looks like Why did we have these giant robots? Why is this planet covered in doom box art? Like that's how it right. looks. Is like did you guys just like copy paste your well, see, like, if you your had pack played- shots into the <laughs> If you had played the Tesla version of Doom, okay. in that one they yeah. added an extra chapter where it explains the giant robots, obviously made by uh, Elon Musk. Musk. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Patrick, are you enjoying it? I, uh, hmm. I, 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 it's been so. I've only played two hours, right? But uh, in that two hours, the feeling I got was. Am I just trying to recapture that feeling I got from Doom in those moments that – so, okay. I'm going to irritate uh, Austin. But uh. Dark Souls 2, I felt similarly when I was playing, which was Ooh. that I'm playing through Dark Souls 2 because I loved Dark Souls, but I don't want to replay Dark Souls. Uh. I just kind of wanted more Dark Souls. And what I got out of Dark Souls 2 was not what I wanted. Um, I played it. There were moments that I enjoyed it, but I got through it and went – uh, all right, that's not... Turns out what I wanted was Bloodborne, right? right? And I didn't even want Dark Souls 3. Dark Souls 3 was a better version of, let's revisit that, and this was entertaining, but what I really wanted was something different, a Sekiro or a Bloodborne. And Doom Eternal feels a lot like me playing through a Dark Souls 2 where there are moments where I'm like, fuck yeah. And then there are other moments where I'm like, maybe I would have been better served just replaying Doom 2016 because it's been long <laughs> enough that I've forgotten right. everything in that game that it would basically be like replaying it again. And what I... What they doubled down on, or they chose to expand upon in Doom Eternal, um, it's almost like, I don't know that the game, the game is hard, but I almost feel like truly what I'm running up against in it is less the, that it's difficult as much as the dance 
like the dance that you're doing in in combat, I found to be deeply satisfying in Doom. And the dance that I'm doing in Doom Eternal with the cooldowns, I don't. I'm not finding it as enjoyable. Like it, I, I'm not enjoying the systems that I'm engaged with. I'm mm-hmm. I'm finding I'm constantly forgetting. Oh right, I have the flamethrower. That's right. How I get like, there's too many I'm, parts in the loop. There's too many parts, and again, two hours. Like it, 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 to, to some level, is that it's a poor opening, and it's not letting me spend more enough time with existing systems to to get acclimated. And if it just had an on ramp that was six hours long, um, it would be better. But in my heart of hearts, I have a feeling that it's like a game I'm going to somewhat slog through because I'm trying to recapture some of what I loved about the Doom 2016 and 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 spending 20 hours realizing that it's it's not that. Yeah, that's a bummer. Is there is there an element of I don't want Doom to be this fussy. I don't want it to be this demanding because yes. like I almost wanted just an expansion pack to Doom 2016, right? Yeah. Like. It, that I was like, I just wanted more of that. Like, I actually would have been fine with, like, that, but just more, you know? And yeah. Like, I, I guess. I mean, remember 2016 was so good at giving this feeling of, like, the UAC was trying to, like, open the hell, open the portal to hell and, uh, you know, turn the, turn Earth over to the devil. Uh, like, that was, the, that was the thing, but they didn't count on the Doom Slayer, and that entire game was tuned to make it feel like, Oh shit! Here you come, and every like just wrecking everything in in your path, right? Like the entire Whereas here, you're like an ant that's just like barely making it work. <laughs> it's like yeah. ah, like this is like Avengers Endgame. We found the one timeline where we can save everything. It doesn't feel like the Doomslayer is some badass that walks into a room and all the demons turn around and go. In the cutscenes, the demons look at you and go, ah, shit. There's the Doomslayer. But you walk into a combat arena and it's more like the Doomslayer going, ah, shit, there's some yeah. demons. <laughs> because Yeah, because there is an element of, uh, like, you're a glass cannon in some ways. Uh, yeah. You can't, like, you can't trade body blows with these demons. You need to be constantly, like, slurping up uh, health and armor from mm. them. If you don't do that, you won't be able to get through the combat. And, yeah, I could adjust the difficulty down. Um, and I would probably feel a little bit, I would feel more powerful, but everything about this game seems to be pushing in this direction of you need to be frantically just trying to stay alive in these combat sequences and work the economy of your abilities to recharge enough to survive the battle. And that is satisfying to master. It's not badly designed, but the thing I never feel like is this trans-dimensional eternal being of pure demon ass kicking whose sole existence and joy is to destroy the legions of hell. I never feel like that. I feel, yeah, to Patrick's point, I feel a little bit like an ant and you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to just find trying to way get by. Oh, yeah. I just got to get to the next one. And I, I guess, you know, thinking back on what I loved about Dune 2016, I just, this game tuned in the direction of like the combat and I don't, I see how they arrived at that point. I almost wish the game had left a lot of the the purity of 2016's combat in place. You know, found ways to mix it up and add some add some systems, but didn't go as far as this one did. And instead, doubled down on exploration and like 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 expanding in that direction of like, okay, what can we do in these spaces? What what can, what can we give the the player more things to do? exploring big maps and maybe that's a different game and the team didn't want to make that but i the, the more i think back about 2016 the more i think about the balance between those two things and that 
my time with Eternal doesn't feel like it 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 got that in the way that I was hoping to be surprised by in the sequel. Mm. I'm <clears throat> sad to hear this. I, I was not the biggest Doom 2016 fan. I actually got exactly far enough to get the double jump, and I was like, yeah, this is cool. This is a good game. I'm going to play a different good game now. Um, uh, but I was actually hopeful because I had such a good time playing this game at E3 um, because of that loop that that y'all are talking about not quite coming together. I, I liked it in that demo setting, but also a demo setting is such a different thing, right? You have someone saying, someone literally over your shoulder be like, now remember to use the flamethrower. And like, yeah, well, if someone's in my ear saying, remember to use the flamethrower, I'm going to remember to use the flamethrower. And that that and also they're going to present like, a really good chunk of that game in terms of what happens there. And I'm worried, like for me as someone who already bounced off that first game after seven hours or something, I don't know that I'll be able to make it through this one. Also, this is, this is an aside. This is not specific to doom, though. I definitely feel a little more keenly here. Um, The logic of the modern game controller increasingly interacts poorly with keyboard and mouse. Like in terms of this design makes some kind of intuitive sense to me. I feel this across an increasing number of games, like Ubisoft games, especially because everything is very much mapped to like, oh, the interface is like laid out to the logic of face buttons. Right. Right. Uh, We don't have those. And so you're kind of struggling to replicate that experience. Um, But I think one of the, other reasons that makes this feel a little bit, uh, you know, clunky to me is that in terms of like playing keyboard and mouse, uh, it just doesn't, it feels like I need the keyboard. I, or at least it used to feel like I needed the keyboard reference chart in front of me to yeah. bear in mind that like, Hey, you know, you can use ice grenades to, uh, slow these guys down and, and, and thin the herd here. Right. And I'm like, Oh yeah, the ice grenade button. I should have hit the ice grenade button. I'll remember to do that next time. Uh, I, I, but I feel like this is a thing I wrestle with a lot now in shooters, which is keyboard and mouse made all the sense in the world when keys one through nine corresponded with a different weapon. And that was basically it, right? Keys, <laughs> keys one through nine left and right mouse button, Alt for strafe like that. You know, it all it all made sense. Doom feels very much like a thing where, okay, you're going to have all these all these abilities and powers like one quick finger press away and you won't have to reach anywhere. It's all just going to be right there. And if you are if you're at a loss for things to do, just hit a bumper and see what happens. You'll be fine Uh, here. It's it's just there's just a there's just a weirdness to like, man, remember the flamethrower is uh, the R key. There it is. There's your flamethrower. And I'm like, yeah, right. That, that That is, I think, another thing that's, um, you know, throwing up some roadblocks. That's interesting. Yeah. A minor thing, but I yeah. feel it across Rob, a lot of games uh, now. Uh, a quick editorial meeting. Yeah. After you write your Doom piece, like, you should you should write that blog. Like, that would be a good that would That's be a, a good, good blog. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because I think about that game, it feels... Part of what felt so cool about it in 2016 was that it was not a left trigger, right trigger shooter, but that it still yeah. felt like a shooter built for controller in that way, where everything was felt really natural as someone playing on console. Um, it, it felt like it came together really well. It felt like I, I had the sense of momentum that had been taken away from me from so many other shooters uh, because of their sort of like plant your feet, aim down sights, take a shot, move, move on. And it was almost like this great moment of like, see, you can do more than just this one model of what 
first-person combat looks and feels like with some variation, you could really go pretty far and still make a really controller-compatible shooter. I could see that switching around, though. And, and, and I played 2016 with a controller. By oh, the way. interesting. Uh, my roommates okay. had uh, an Xbox, and so they bought the game. I played it on their Xbox, and I was like, this rules. I don't feel like I'm, I'm missing much. Oh, that was another thing. Uh, I think one reason this also felt harder to me is because I was using the uh, the number keys to switch weapons. That hmm. doesn't slow down time. But if you oh. bring up the weapon wheel, mm-hmm. time slows down. I guess how I guess I understand why that is cuz how would you account for Right. Yeah. For it. But like, what one do you of the, hold the hold hold the hold the 4 key and it's like, "Oh, but I'm holding the 4 key so I can hit the 7 key." <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. But like this this like I this was a weird thing that started That's dawning me midway through is like I think this game is also tuned to make more sense with the weapon wheel yeah, as a way to control pace a little bit. Cause like when you bring it up, uh, even though you're not in there very long, you can see the world start to like move a little bit sludgy yeah. in the background. Uh, whereas if you were just switching between weapons real quick, you're playing at full speed all the time. Um, and I think that is a weird place where playing it like a classic shooter, even though it's very trying very hard to emulate that experience there's still certain allowances that the game is meant to be making to the controller that it struggles to uh, like the, the, the difficulty doesn't translate well when you don't have those built ins like pauses. Right. Hmm. Right. Well, uh, stick with it. We'll check back in on it next week. Obviously Uh, I'm guessing you'll wrap it up or have you already wrapped it up, Rob? Uh, No, I'm pretty like, I'm pretty decently in, but I've got a little more play. Oh it gosh, does sure. seem like we're outliers. It seems like a lot of people really like the game, but I read uh, uh, a Wired piece uh, by uh, Julie Muncy, who's also written for us, and in reading their their piece about it, I found myself nodding. Right. <laughs> um, so, um, so a lot of people seem to like it, and hopefully you too, I guess I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just a, a little bummed. Yeah. And we are going to think of... You can always uh-huh. play 2016 on Game Pass. <laughs> there, there you go it's still there it's still it's waiting for you yeah you can go kill those demons instead those much more streamlined and and fun to kill demons <laughs> all right we're gonna take a break we're gonna come back we're gonna talk about some more things patrick are you sticking around you're gonna head out no i i in 20 minutes i got a uh tag team uh, right. uh with my wife to watch the watch the little monster there's a, from what i'm told there's a stink monster in the house that we need to go track down Uh-oh. so i'll let you know how that goes good yeah, luck with the that. stink monster yeah. thank you for thank you. joining us uh all right we'll take a quick break brb when it comes to your finances you think you've done it all You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. All right, we are back with one Gita Jackson. How are you doing, Gita? 
Hi, I'm doing. I'm doing. You're doing all right. I'm doing. You're doing. We're all doing. <laughs> you know. That's all Making we can it, do. Like, Making it. That's do. a question that honestly feels more and more irrelevant every single day. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> I do know. I do know. Um, in fact, I know so much that uh, a couple days ago, driven by uh, just a desire to feel productive, despite having done work all week, I or I guess all Monday, it was on Tuesday that I did this. I was like, I need to, I need to stream a video game. I need to have like people's words in front of my face. I need like instant commu- I need actual communication happening that isn't content communication. It's not the same as like going and sitting in a, in a cafe and having like that passive social experience, but it's kind of close. I need to be playing a video game and also other people are there. And so I streamed Solaris <laughs> for like seven hours over on the Waypoint yeah. Twitch channel. People should go look at that. It, the, the archive is bad. The archive is like mixed into four or five different videos, I'm guessing, because yeah. I my I, internet is I highlighted I highlighted them all into parts so thank you in parts on the vod and we're, we're working with the video team to get that up on youtube so i appreciate it for that well, thank you uh but <laughs> the reason i'm doing that also is because stellaris federations is out the latest expansion from paradox yes. of their 4x space sim not space sim 4x space game there's space 4x game um i don't know what the adjective order is there i think space 4x games uh, I guess it's also kind of a grand strategy. I think this expansion makes it more of a grand strategy than it's been um, in some ways. And I've been thinking about why that is. And I think the biggest thing for me, and Gita, you've been playing this also, um, yeah. is because I have a better sense of there being an actual interact, some degree of a network tying everything together now. Um, Stellaris... When Stars came out, it felt very much like <clears throat> a sort of like souped up 4X game. And by 4X, I'm looking at something like Civilization more than something like Crusader Kings, which is what we mean when we say grand strategy. Um, it was a game about expanding into the stars, colonizing planets, building out a military, expanding that military and your, your nation's borders, maybe allying with some other factions in the, in the world, and eventually like... Um, uh, you know, conquering the galaxy. Uh, there were some fun, you know, changes to the formula in terms of the way their tech tree worked, in terms of the way at the time when that game first came out, the way you, you moved ships differently through space. There are all sorts of little neat things, but basically it was like, what if Paradox made a 4X game? Um, and it was, it was okay. It was, I liked it, but it was not, I don't know that it necessarily competed with like the, the best of all time 4X space games. Um, and in the expansions that followed, they added a lot of flavor. They added a lot of internal changes. So I think like things like adding the internal faction system uh, around like needing to, to make people inside of your own space empire who have different beliefs happy was interesting. Uh, they added, you know, they changed the way shipping or like kind of trade routes worked. They changed the way in a big way last year, the way planet development worked um they basically moved it from a system where i don't even need to get into the system they moved it to a much better more interesting system where planets felt a little more defined a little more distinct um and away from just kind of like hey plop plop characters down on different tiles and let them do their thing like now i have a much better sense of what my each of my planets does um uh and and that's really cool but but what never what they didn't really do until now i think is really figure out a way to communicate that you and every other nation in space is has some sort of is, is on the same canvas if that makes sense um yeah. previously the only real interaction was like war 
uh, uh, federations or allies because federations predated the federations expansion that was in the game from the jump. They just kind of sucked um, uh, or, um, you know, various trade deals, whether that was specifically just trading for some minerals quickly or having open communications that work or, or having something that boosted like a, a, a cooperative research agreement where both of your science, you know, your research skill or research speeds got boosted. Right. Um, this to me feels like a really great step towards feeling like that, you know, something more like Deep Space Nine or like the Galactic Senate shit of Star Wars, or there's at least this sense of being in the same community. And it gives you a new a new vector by which you'd be like, man, fuck those guys. Uh, and that is yeah. good to me. Yeah, I really liked. Um, so I haven't. Hello, I'm Geek. Um, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't been following the um, the game quite as closely as Austin. I played it at launch because you said Paradox in space, mm-hmm. and I was like, hell yeah. But to me, and I guess this is um, to Austin's point that maybe this is a grand strategy game now. Um, I remember playing it at launch and sort of feeling like a lot of Paradox games there is this feeling of waiting for a thing to happen so you can do another thing. Mm -hmm. And the tension of the game lies in the like waiting until that number flips over until you can do the thing that you really need to do to do the thing that you really need to do to do the thing that you need to do. Um, Uh And I remember at Solaris at launch feeling like the space between me being here now and the thing happening that will trigger the thing that I can do was like long enough that I could go make a sandwich and come back. (laughs) <laughs> like feeling very bored yeah <laughs> you know especially yeah. once you hit the mid game where oh it's very exciting to discover and colonize planets and then suddenly all the planets are taken for a long time because there was not this feeling of of you know uh civilizations being on the same canvas once all the space was taken up you kind of just waited it until someone either you decided to start a war or someone else attacked you yeah, And you sit there amassing a military, just sort of like, there's got to be crossover of culture and tourism and stuff between these civilizations. But it you just don't see it, but you don't see right? There, why is there nothing happening? Happening? Like There was a real yeah. pit in, the, in that game when it first launched, where, yeah. like you said, the beginning was great because for people who've never played Stellaris, um, on top of having the, the kind of traditional you're sending scouts out to look for resources thing, your scouts are scientists, and so they're all little Picards and Kirks going out around the galaxy to <laughs> investigate weird space anomalies, right? Um, and they have names, and they have traits, and so you end up having a degree of attachment to them. Um, and I'll say that this part of the game has also gotten much 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 better i think the archaeological dig stuff fucking rules and brings more of that stuff into the mid game in a really good way um and then at the end game one of the things that made stellaris distinct was that there were kind of end game events uh where you know uh, the there'd be a huge ai uprising across the whole map there would be you know intergalactic invaders would show up uh something strange would breach you know in from another dimension and and all of the galaxy would have to respond to it or be crushed um and that stuff was neat uh, but it, it followed off of a, a mid game where all anyone did was mass force and 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 like swing at their their rivals. But like just because there was nothing else to do. And uh, I, I definitely think that they've been trying to address the mid game problem for for a long time by introducing new other different spikes um, uh, of difficulty with things like other kind of mid game events like the giant pirate fleets and stuff like that. Uh, this is probably the first time where I felt like what they've done actually is just layer on another system. And my guess, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm still so fresh to this new system that I don't know 
if it's good, but it's new, it's novel, and I like it. And I don't know if in in two months of playing, will it be like, well, yeah, this is all just, this is, let this run out, and then whatever. Rob? So, like, a question to you. Yes. In the past, one of the things that would cause me to lose interest in the mid-game and dealing with these other uh, civilizations was just, our interactions weren't that interesting, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, you're um fascist bird people. Okay. Uh, would you like a research agreement? No. Okay. Well, what if I threw in some minerals? No. Would you like a research? How many minerals? Uh-huh. And it was just like, it was like trying to get my dog to eat a fucking pill, right? Where right, it's like, right. let me interact yep. with you, yeah. fascist bird. And like, <laughs> shot, like massage my throat, like try to, make the, try to make the trade deal go down. Yep. Uh, Whereas, like, now, what what are you doing in Federations? You're saying it's got that Star Wars yeah, thing so, where it's like, we won't intervene in the trade, <laughs> in the trade embargo. What What's happening in the Federation? Let me, let me set up what the two new big... There's like, I'd say that there's three new big things. I think some of this is just in the 2.6, I think, update. Uh, and some of it is just in Federations. Because as all Paradox games go, some stuff is so integral to their updates that they're just like, this is free. Everyone, everyone needs this system. <laughs> but you, if you want like the full version of it, give us money for the expansion. Um, so out the gate, one of the big things that they did that's different is, and I'm, I'm just going to do the thing that you have to do with these games, which is tell a little bit of a story. Uh, with uh, Talk about my first full game, uh, or, or the first like half game that I played through uh, before I did this stream. Um, uh, so right out the gate, one of the big things that's changed is every, every um, empire that you build has an origin now. Some of these origins used to be what were called civics, which were like special little like um, uh, characteristics of your of your whatever your nation was. Um, and they were cool, but it kind of sucked to use one of your civics on something that didn't give you a long term bonus. So, for instance, one of them would be like you were born on a your, your nation is from a Gaia world, uh, which is like a really beautiful, perfect world. And that's awesome for your start. But then you're only good to live on other Gaia worlds. Every other world is like nothing to you. You can't habitat it or habitat it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, you can't inhabit it uh, without it being uh, having lots of negatives because you're used to this perfect, pristine world. Um, uh, or one of them is like you had, and this is the one I used on on the stream the other day. One of them is that you start with like a secondary species that's tied to your own species, and they have different characteristics and traits than your species, but you kind of cohabit in the same on the same planet. And that stuff was cool as civics, but now they're, they're their own thing called origins, and there's a bunch of other ones. So you could start on a post-apocalyptic world. You could start in a ring world. You could start. Uh, there's a they added a pack called the Lithoid Pack, where you're basically big rock people. And one of the origins that's only for the Lithoids is that you were on a big asteroid that crashed into this planet and now you are the big species on that planet and the way you colonize other planets is by launching asteroids at them destroying them and becoming the new the new ruling like species on that planet uh very very good uh dropping the asteroid uh play right there um so i make i make my my culture and one of the, the new options is is to start in a federation out the gate federations have been in this game since the jump uh but there's only one model of federation at the beginning of this game i believe maybe there Maybe there were two, but I think that there were just the one. Uh, And it was basically like, hey, when you're in a federation, um, you rotate through who's in control. There's kind of like a behind the scenes or just a kind of an abstracted, I guess, election system. It wasn't even an election system. It, was it just like a rotated. Chair it show. just was a revolving chair. Who's in control of the Federation? While you're in control of the Federation, you get it's control. It's time of the, to start a war. 
It's time to start a war because finally something will happen in this game. Uh, and, and you're in control of the Federation fleet, which is comprised of the ships made from the best technologies of everyone else in the Federation. Uh, and uh, is kind of its own distinct thing that only the Federation president or whatever can control. Uh, and that's kind of it, right? Like, I think, you know, you have open borders and migration treaties and stuff with other Federation members. Uh, you get some other bonuses, but like it's not, it was not. They were necessary by the end game in some some sense because they meant that you had enough force to deal with other superpowers. Um, but uh, unless you were playing someone who was like, I'm going to just be a military superpower. Uh, but they were not necessarily super exciting or interesting. Uh, in Federations, one of the first big changes is that there are five types of Federation. I think at least two or three of them are open that you can choose from an origin. Uh, there are galactic unions, which are the old kind of model, which was just like, hey, everyone is friends. We're all we're all like very di diplomatic focused. Um, we have which which is a new which is actually a thing now, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, we have, you know, extra um, unity. We get extra, which is one of the resources to uh, to to spend on um, like special upgrades and stuff, uh, etc. There's a trade league which introduces a new type of trade policy and generally is just about making more money. There is a martial alliance, which is that all of your ships are better. You're just like, you're the military, like you're the Navy, right? You're like the United Navy of space. Uh, there's a research cooperative, which boosts everyone's research speeds. And then there's a hegemony. And the hegemony is sort of like the regular galactic union, but with a little bit more focus on domination, a little bit more focus on um, uh, like expand expansion in general um and much less freedom to leave the the hegemony than than uh someone in a regular federation has and in the, the kind of galactic union federation has instead of just being a thing you're in federations now have multiple levels they're like you level up your federation over time you do this by being in the federation and by getting experience in the federation and to get experience you have to be in kind of on good terms with everyone in the federation to do that, you have, uh, which just happens to some degree because you're you're trading with them because you have you're in fights alongside them. Um, but also, you have envoys now. You have specific name characters, just like you have scientists and governors. You now have uh, envoys, and they're much more background characters than uh, the scientists are because you're not like getting updates from them. I wish you were, but you kind of like say, hey. Um, uh, we had I had three in my my plant species waypoint run called something bloom because we, I picked up a, a name thing that had a lot of blooms in it because they are plant people. So like Bud Bloom, you go over here and you deal with the Hifnar Empire, please. Uh, and the what? The Hifnar, Hifn Hifnar <laughs> Empire. They, they were little foxes. Don't worry about it. Uh -huh. uh, and Bud would go over there and just like chat them up and slowly raise not only my relationship with them. Uh, but my relationship with the Federation, or I could just put the envoys in the Federation and be like, hey, make make things just go here. Make all the stuff work a little bit better. And as it levels up, those perks that you get from the Federation are really become much, much better. Right. So like, you know, at the very first level of the trade league, it's just it opens up a special trade policy. But then by the time you get to level two, you're getting 10 percent more ship speed inside of all Federation space. You're getting another envoy. You're getting a flat 5 percent boost on your trade value. That's all really good. Um, so I start a game with a hegemonic military power. Uh, in a in a in a hegemonic um, uh, federation, I'm like I want to be. I'm coming in thinking 
this is still going to be Stellaris. I'm still going to need to get into a fight in the mid game to make my life interesting. Let's be the bad guys. Let's be a military power uh, uh, who can throw their weight around. Maybe in the early game, we'll get a little bit of a boost because we'll be three people fighting a war instead of one. Um, because I picked the the hegemony starter origin, I ended up being really close to two other people who are on my in my federation. Unfortunately, I did a bad job of expanding and immediately got boxed in. Um, if you've played a game like this, you know that like there's kind of a sprawl. Your border kind of grows out from where you are, and because of the way the hyperspace lanes were, my little empire inside of this this you know three part hegemony wound up completely boxed in, which meant it was expensive for me to continue to expand because you have to hop over the territory controlled by my own people to go start, try to plant a flag past where they're already expanding. And you end up leapfrogging, and that costs more resources for a bunch of different reasons. And suddenly I realized, I built this big big military power. I'm not going to have the, the, the empire to back it up. I need more minerals. I need alloys to build ships. So I need to tr- figure out something else. I need to figure out a way to uh, still be a, a force here um, or or else I'll die or else I'm going to be the little baby brother as my two big, you know, my two big siblings go off to war and I'm like, I'm here too. And so I realized I can do two things. One is I can shift from being a military power to being a technological power. Some of the planets I got early on were all right. They had some cool like science stuff. I could try to basically grow a tall empire instead of a wide empire and focus on tech. The second thing I realized is inside of the new Federation system, and this will come back later when I talk about the galactic community, there's a thing called diplomatic weight. Now, diplomatic weight is a system that says, who's in control here? How do we judge who is in control here? And by default, I think in Federations, it's just kind of like a mix of everything. It's like, hey, it's a little bit of how much, how much fleet power you have. It's a little bit of how good is your technology. It's a little bit about how good is your economy. And in this moment, I see that we're all pretty much friends and everyone's up for whatever. Everyone in my, in my hegemony, because we're all basically evened out, is like, yeah, we, who cares who's in control? It's fine. Pick whatever you want. And so I decide to reassert myself as a technological power and say that whoever, that the way we're judging power inside of the Federation is by technological prowess. Um, and I make that you- decision. Uh-huh. Yeah, how do you get to be the one that be that's like, hey, you know what's really important is technology, which I specialize. How do you get to be the one that, that says well, that again? So at the top of the when when you make a new federation, I believe it's just rotating who is in control at that point. Basically, there's now a new level of federation centralization that also can go up and that can change that can all, basically open up additional um federation options around how much is each is each power contributing how much is or each you know member contributing to the fleet uh what is the succession type i think it starts with rotation um but straight up everyone else was just okay with it because at that moment we were all pretty equal um everyone was like yeah i'd benefit from this um i i think i suggested it because in the rotation i was there but i changed it to strongest and then and then i made it so that it was strongest uh uh yes technological weight um so suddenly 
I'm just like in the driver's seat for a long fucking time in this federation as my research goes up and up and up and up. And we start to become kind of a military powerhouse. We are, you know, taking, we're, we're making gains. Uh, I'm finally getting to spread my wings a little bit and get a little bit more territory because we're winning wars. Um, and uh, and because I have this huge fucking federation fleet. I don't have big shipyards, but my two like compatriots have huge shipyards and they, I've, ma I've made the demand that they, that they send something like 20 percent of their fleet power to the federation fleet which is my fleet which doesn't even count to my own ship like ship uh uh like limits my fleet limits because it's the federation fleet it's not my fleet but any gains that they get are my gains so it's working for me really well until uh two things happen at once one the galactic community is founded the galactic community is the is the Star Wars Space Senate. Like the image is literally like a bunch of like aliens in a big room looking around. Um there is literally a Senate floor button where you go down to the Senate floor and see what's being voted on. It's very it's it's you know it's obviously a graphical representation but it's very funny. Um everyone wants in. I'm playing a big game with a bunch of different people and everyone wants in. Uh, including me, because I want to be where I, I want to be where the magic happens. I want to be in the room where it happens, right? So I decide to join. My whole my whole hegemony decides to join, um, and immediately I'm like, oh wow, this is cool. Inside of the galactic community, there's kind of a two step process. The first step is everyone gets to vote on resolutions to go up for vote. Everyone kind of takes like the the temperature. Hey. Do we want to do we want to vote on uh uh you know galactic commerce laws? Hey, do we want to vote on uh, having some sort of ecological law in place to protect the environment across space, the space environment? Hey, do we want to talk about military action? Um, and whichever resolution gets gets accepted, then gets brought to the floor to get voted on. Um, so you're kind of voting twice. You're voting once to see if it'll go in, and then you're voting again to see if it passes. Almost immediately, one of the first things that gets passed is a, a resolution called the Greater Good. Uh, the Greater Good says, uh, or no, sorry, it's not the Greater Good. I wish it was the Greater Good. It is mutual defense. <laughs> and what mutual defense says is, hey, um, uh, everybody across the galaxy gets 20% diplomatic weight from fleet power and gets bonus naval capacity. Uh, and it costs a little bit more to keep up your ships because we're, we're putting into place like a minimum regulations on how much you need to, how, like how good your ships need to be. There's extra inspectors coming through, all that shit. So I'm like, okay, well, this is bad. I don't want, I don't have a fleet of my own. I'm going to lose diplomatic weight here in the Senate if this passes. It easily passes because most people are big military powers. I am not. The second thing that gets passed, and actually in between that, I guess in some way this worked out for me. Is I got that extra naval capacity, and I smashed some new enemies, and I ended up with a new with a new planet. And soon after after that planet, as the second thing happens, uh, I realize my economy is in trouble. The second thing that happens is that the Senate passes sanctions. The Senate passes sanctions. One of the resolutions you can pass is sanctions. Uh, and what the military sanctions say is, if denounced or uh, or um, breaching galactic law, denounced is thing you can vote to denounce someone. Uh, I was not denounced, but I was then in breach of galactic law. Uh, you get minus 10% naval capacity and minus 20% uh, weight from your fleet power. So the, re the, thing that I was, the thing that I was breaching was... There's a the mutual defense thing demands that you have 
that you're contributing something like 20% of your, of your, or 50% of your maximum fleet. So like, hey, if I can have 50 ships, I need to have 25 ships built. It's demanded. The, the, it's like NATO, right? It's like, hey, everyone has to do their due. Everyone has to send a certain number, have to have a number, a number of ships up at any given time. Just in case uh, the Reapers show up, you need to be ready to fucking go. Uh, and I was not ready to go because I was leaning on that big hegemony fleet instead of my own little baby fleet, which I had not invested in at all at that point. Suddenly, my economy is spiraling, and I'm like, well, is it because I'm in breach of sanctions? Like, yeah, a little bit. Uh, I'm getting sanctioned because I don't have enough fleet, uh, and I'm, I'm losing money now, because now I'm like, these sanctions are killing me. On, uh, it's lowered my capacity even more. It's a mess. And I, I've, it's because I've, I've slowly expanded all this time, and I now have all these planets, and I don't have a system to, to work for me. And now that my weight is lower and now that military weight is higher, I've also lost control of the hegemony. So now I'm not even the president of this of this federation anymore and I'm dying and like everything is in the red. <laughs> and I'm like, I have to figure this out. We were really strong three years ago and then we went to the Senate and now I'm weak. Like everyone is dying. Farmers are yelling at me. My food isn't everything is in the red. And finally, I real and also all my planets hate me because, by the way, all the planets are planets I conquered. And so the people on those planets are just the people who lived on those planets 20 years ago who remember when I invaded and took them over and are not happy with me. And finally, I realized the real problem is that you can't just capture a new planet and expect it to integrate calmly and easily into your own uh, economy. The people that I had taken over had really specialized planets. They had one planet that all it did, the only, like, it was a huge planet, and all it did was take raw materials and turn them into uh, consumer goods uh, and into alloys to make ships. Because they were adhering to the fucking galactic rules of needing to make a bunch of ships. And so... They had this whole planet that I didn't even realize I captured it. So big and corrupt was my empire. I had some fucking factory planet off on my, my galactic rim where they were just like, yeah, send us more fucking metal. What do you got, steel? Yeah, we'll turn that into a spaceship. I know you need to build buildings with it, but we got to build destroyers. Not even destroyers, just the plating for the side of a destroyer. Just warehouse after warehouse filling up with these alloys, except I didn't realize it was happening because I'm trying to churn out ships as quick as I can to get out from under these fucking sanctions. And my entire economy completely collapses because I'm trying to keep up with the new galactic, like, Senate's demands while also bleeding money trying to keep, like, people fed. It's perfect. It's like this moment of having this extra layer of things to just keep track of that can impact what you what you are working on day to day in that game is really nice. Um, the galactic community stuff only comes up. It's basically on like a two year and then a five year cycle in terms of where the votes are. Um, but all during all that stuff, you could be politicking because uh, one of the other new things. And Gita, I'm curious if you've hit any of the shit I've talked about is favors. Um, you can now earn favors from people by doing what you said before, Rob, which is just like, here's 20 rocks. Give me a favor. But favors are things you call in later. And so now you can use those favors to get people onto your side to, to set up a trade agreement they wouldn't agree with before or to get them to vote the way you want to vote. You can basically call in a favor and say, hey, vote against those sanctions for me. Uh, and I ended up having to do some of that. 
to try to get some big Senate laws passed to get me out from under this like miserable situation I was in. Um, and it meant basically emptying my entire bank. I skipped the whole thing here, but I've already gone on too long. Please know that part of the way I, got, I actually dug myself out of this was selling relics on the gray market, selling intergalactic astrological super relics. I found like a replicator that could just produce minor relics. And so I just hit that button. It produced 30 minor relics. <laughs> and I just sold those on the black market. And I was like, I got to, I need this money. I need this money. I don't you, care where these end up. I'm a nightmare. You're just the worst person in history in yep. this game. That's correct. <laughs> did only bad things. I only did bad things. It's oh, true. You played yourself hard, though. That's really funny. That I, is basically it. Yeah. I, um, I had a similar experience, uh, but I put this game on pause for a long time because I started playing it before coronavirus happened. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and I had a similar experience where I was being nice, though. I didn't join a hegemony. I joined uh, the for my origin, for my species of nice cat people. Um, I joined a the other one, the one that's nice. I was just looking at it, and I can't remember what it is. But there's uh, just this, like, like a nice the galactic un- union or whatever yeah something yes. like that where you you are uh not a bunch of evil people who decide to be evil together uh, you are a bunch of nice people that just want to be nice which is just generally damn. how i approach that game you know um and i also got boxed in and i also eventually had to uh sort of absorb through diplomacy some other planets that had other populations on them Oh, I see. When I use guns, it's bad. But when you absorb (laughs) through diplomacy, that's good colonization. That's good. That's okay. Uh You know, maybe that's just the story of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Oh, boy. Um, Yeah, I mean, it is fucked up. It was fucked up that I did that. But you (laughs) do have to spend so much time now when you feel you have... If you take over other planets that have other populations on them, you have to take the time to look at every single one of them and like try to understand whether or not having this planet with this many people on it is just going to destroy your economy. Because it can and will very, 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 very quickly. Um, The stuff with the Galactic Senate also went more in my favor because I was being nice. But there were like tensions because there were more militaristic uh, civilizations joining who were trying to push us to do something that the majority of the Senate wasn't doing. And you could you could see and feel that people were scheming. It's It was interesting to feel like the other civilizations had their own politics and were trying to enact them, which was not really how I felt before I played right. uh, with this update. As the galactic community stuff gets further and further on, those higher degree resolutions end up being really big in terms of like, like the top level, um, there's like a politics uh, and uh, uh, resolution line called the greater good. And at the third level of that, there's five levels at the third level of that, it straight up says, hey, if you're part of the galactic community, you cannot allow the basic stratified chattel slavery or livestock slavery uh, style of of living standards for anyone inside of your inside of your power. And I think about our when we did this stream, Rob, with you and Danielle of the Striven Solar Commonwealth, we're like, there was no way for us to try to swing things galactically away from authoritarian slavery. Um, this would have given us another option to even think about going down that, ra- that, that road. It would have been really hard maybe to get enough votes 
to ban chattel slavery, for instance, <laughs> um, or to ban subsistence living. Uh, but it would have been an interesting thing to make. Can we build a relationship with someone across the galaxy who is not a direct neighbor of ours, but who is still in the galactic community to try to vote with us on this? Um, and I'll note, when you vote against something, you lose relationship with someone. So while I was streaming, we had this moment early on, uh, or not early on, like very towards the end of the game, but early on in the galactic community, where one of my allies, the Hifnar Empire, uh, put up to vote something that was bad for me. Um, and, or maybe it wasn't Hifnar, maybe it was somebody else. Uh, and I was like, well, fuck. If I vote against them, they're going to hold it against me for like a decade. Uh, what do I do? Do I vote for this thing that's going to put me in their like in in a worse position with them, or do I go along with it? And you end up seeing the people in the chat were like, "I can see this game is showing me society in a real way." Where like, what do you do when you see that you're the only person objecting to something going through? Right? I think it might have been there was a thing called I want to call like buzzword standardization uh, it was like an economy thing that was just about like hey we all gotta we all gotta standardize which buzzwords we use so that we can all do better trade agreements and i was like fuck that i'm a trade weakling i don't want i want us to use different buzzwords forever i think you should call it synergy and i should call it a good time and that's it <laughs> um and uh i wanted to vote against it but i was the only one voting against it and at that point you're like well wait a second what if I just vote for it and I get the credit for voting for passing a bill? And you're like, ah, oh, fuck. Ah, oh, fuck. This is the mm. thing that happens. This uh -huh. is the thing that happens is it takes a lot to, to piss off everyone else who's voting for a thing. You're going to lose favors. You're going to lose reputation. Um, and you suddenly, like, well, what if I just abstain? If I abstain, is that, and that's kind of like, I'm not voting against it. No one can hold it against me, but. I don't have to feel icky, but that doesn't actually stop the damn thing. And that stuff is interesting. Um, I'm still fairly early on in my main game in terms of this stuff. I'm only on like resolution level two and three stuff. So I don't know if, if I don't know how much by the end game, this galactic union will feel important, but it's making the mid game. It's giving the mid game one other layer of something to focus on. So even though the, there is still kind of wheel spinning happening, there's another thing for me to care about, and that is, especially for a player like me who wants narrativization, who wants the kind of like thematic work of feeling, understanding what these different cultures feel like, seeing them vote, you know, for more and more industrial development things actually communicates that that's the type of nation they are more than just, I look at a menu and it says that they are, they have good economy. You know what I mean? Um, so that has been really fun. I've been, I've been really into that stuff. Uh, I, I'm happy that this game is in a place now where I can more easily recommend it um, because it has enough moving parts, you know? Rob, as a former as a former Stellaris player, do you have any other questions about what this thing adds or what it How does? How did you lose control of your hegemony in that story? Um, the galactic sanction, the gla there was a law passed that raised diplomatic weight for from fleet power. And I personally had very low fleet power, but oh, my neighbors so that still affected your diplomatic weight in everywhere. The, yes, including in the Federation. I believe so. Yes, governed according to different laws. Okay. Unless they maybe there's a world I guess in which I was just outpaced in research, but I don't think I was. I was like very strongly in, yeah. in charge of that. I believe it just straight up gave more diplomatic weight across the board to all galactic community members. Um, or you could be, the other <laughs> thing there was like you, but you don't fuck the galactic community. I'm a giant rogue AI and I'm here to eat the galactic community. And suddenly <laughs> if that stuff starts happening, 
there are ways in which the galactic community, there are resolutions that can be passed to to basically encourage mutual defense and stuff like that, that make it feel like once I hit that endgame threat, um, it seems like there might be more of a chance to fight back against something like that this time. We'll see. I don't know. I'm I'm excited to finish the first my first full game and, and see if that stuff like actually comes together in that way. Uh, or if it's just a bunch of passive bonuses by the end. But right now, it feels really active and fun. Um, especially because eventually you get to the stuff where you're like, hey, the galactic community is banning something I do. <laughs> like, it's banning, it's banning, uh, uh, you know, studying a- un- un-uplifted alien cultures or un- uh, what's the, I forget the word, but like kind of lower alien species like humans. <laughs> like if I find some humans I want to study, if I find some cow people who are not yet like traveling the galactic space lanes, I'm not allowed to study them because we, I guess, banned the the active study uh, a policy or whatever. Um, and that stuff is just cool. It just, that that extra, that extra layer of complication ends up being one more thing to, to keep in your mind. And and that is the part of it that makes it feel more like a grand strategy game to me is that something is affecting all of these groups at once. And it's not just military power. It's not just a big fleet showed up. It's, it is that something, you know, terraforming got banned and that changes the, the, the state of play for everybody. Um, and that's really interesting. Um, any, anything else? Gita from uh, from Stellaris, or yeah, we can move on. Well, I, I had a, I just had a question. I always have been Stellaris curious. Uh, how <laughs> is how is the tutorialization in this in this game? Because watching you play it on stream, there are so many menus that I yeah, don't, it's no. not great. It's not great. Uh, like none of these games have yeah. great tutorialization. Yeah. Um, the best tutorialization is watching people play them. Right. And watching streamers and YouTube creators who are like, hey, I'm going to check out the new... I watched like a 40-minute video before I understood any of the new economy, like tile, world tile system. The way that you build out planets now and build sectors and districts and stuff. Um, it took me a long time to learn that. Unfortunately, yeah. I don't think the in-game stuff cuts it, but Gita. Mm. Yeah, I think the best way to learn, honestly, is to just devote an afternoon to sucking really badly and playing yeah. just just short games that get a you know, you know, end very quickly because you don't know what you're doing. That right. with a combination of like the wiki open. Yeah. Honestly, I'm a big proponent of that. Ever since the Dwarf Fortress wiki just really guided me through the entire process of playing that game, I am like a yeah. huge proponent of like this. Co- this is another game with a community that's very dedicated to it. And they have a very informative wiki. So, like, anytime you see anything that you don't quite understand, there's probably an explanation of it in that document. Which totally. Right. Yeah. yeah, start playing. Start on, like, a medium-sized map or a small map. Pick a pick one of the pre-made species that you know are going to be good or, or empires that you know are going to be, like, balanced in a way that will, that will work because there are some pre-mades. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just, like, start tooling around and see what you can see how it goes yeah. is, is really the the advice the, my only experience with like forex well is civ you know right and there's something about that where like there's those menus kind of exist in there but you don't have to pay attention to them until an advisor is like hey look at look at this you should yeah. do something here uh, there's some seems a little more less uh 
like it doesn't ping as much you know yeah for yeah. that sort of thing you can turn on there is like an advisor so even you know on, on my stream i left tips on and i ended up buttoning through most of those uh but even with that you could tell it was probably really it that ai advisor spoke up a lot uh and mm. will speak up more if you have the full tutorial on um i guess I, what i'd be interesting in interested in kato is if you gave it a try and have the, the full tutorial mode on if yeah. you thought it would walk you through it better than than we're saying, because I, I haven't done the full tutorial in forever, <laughs> and I've been playing this game now for five years, right? I, so it's, it's sitting in my Steam cart. I'm Gita, thinking about did you, it. <laughs> did you go yeah, through it? I actually, you know, played the game with the tutorial recently because I was like, haven't played this game in like gotcha. a year. I do not know if I remember what things are called, so let me just turn the tutorial on. For someone yeah. like that, I think the tutorial is very helpful. Is it just as like, this is a sign ship. And you're like, oh, I remember what to do now. That's great. <laughs> I do not know if it'd be helpful for Kato. And I'm interested to see if it helps a new player. Because I know, yeah, if you are listening to this and haven't played it since launch and you're like, oh, that sounds good now. Yeah, the put the tutorial on because it'll at least remind mm -hmm. you where the menus are and like what the shortcuts are. What the shortcuts are is very essential. So I recommend it. Cool. 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 Yeah, I don't think I'm going to try it. Although, if fucking Animal Crossing comes out tonight, so I don't know who has time uh, for that. Yeah, we will. Listen, fucking... you only play Animal Crossing like two hours a day, then the rest of your day can be Stellaris. Could be Stellaris. There right. you go. Well, plus an hour for Destiny, plus probably another hour for Grand Blue Fantasy, which I'm still doing regularly. I'm also still doing that regularly. My, uh, I'm, pa I'm patiently plus waiting versus, for days. Plus another hour plus for versus. versus. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> this is Fuck. this is this is what a healthy video game diet sounds like plus tabletop <laughs> stuff plus you know yeah right. you mix yeah. it all up yep. together uh-huh um i played uh, dialect the other weekend it was great wait what happened i played dialect oh uh, nice dialect fucking slaps you want to yeah. talk about dialect you want to shout outs to sure. dialect shout outs to dialect uh so it's this tabletop role-playing game where you set up um you create and then slowly watch die out a language uh and it's yeah, that really neat. dope um well, it was, uh, it, hmm, it, like, has, like, three different ages set up, and so, like, the first age, there's a lot of, like, you know, creation of words through, like, different prompts and stuff, and then, like, as it goes on, you know, your situation changes, and, you know, there's new, uh, conflict and interesting things where new words might spread out, and then, like, uh, we didn't actually finish it because it was going long, but, um, it was, it was good, and it's, uh, one of those things where, <laughs> given that we're all social distancing now, there's actually a, a, a module on Roll Twenty, yeah. the, the website that is that has made tabletop role playing over the internet like really, uh, you know, a, a lot a lot easier to kind of handle. And specifically with this with the module system, where it's like the the people who made the game set this up, like put together like everything so it should be good to go for you to just log on and and play the game after you know going through the rules but um yeah it's definitely, yeah totally <laughs> definitely worth uh checking which out. which backdrop did you use we used the um what was it called the protectors which I what is it describe it's, it it's one me. of the extra ones so oh, I it's see it. yeah. it's um i think it's I, I think we realized this after the fact but so it's like related to the like uh protesters at 
um, like the the native protesters for like the the pipelines situation mm-hmm. is kind of like what that drop is. But we like extracted it, like expanded it out because there happened to be a similar situation in our long running D and D campaign. And it was like, oh, wait, cool. what if we did these people, but like you know, switched it up a little bit. So, um, it was more like we're actually uh these uh elven mer people that are fighting against a, a, a toxic invasion of their waters. Awesome. Uh, so, so it was a little, a little, you know, twist on what, what was written in that background, but it was cool. Yeah. Dialect is super cool. It comes with a bunch of what are called backdrops, which are, which are kind of the like default settings for the game um, that have uh, basically certain prompts uh, because you're, you're basically playing an isolated community um, that uh, uh, is slowly, you're playing a character in an isolated community that kind of represents a broader, like a broader range of what that community is. Um, right. You're building out new Like worlds. each person's character is an archetype that's supposed to kind of, you know, yes. be, be pretty representative of, you know, a certain type of person within the community and not, not always, I mean, it is, you are one person, but you, you know, you extrapolate out to like being the, that thing for the community for the community yeah exactly yeah. so like one of the i think their, their default one is just like you're an abandoned martian outpost and right. you basically it's like okay well why is there different language there like what are the sorts of uh what are the things that are important to you what brought you all together for the mission and then based on that you know, have some sort of word that represents that um and then over time you build out from those things. You answer different questions. You draw cards that give you prompts to to like come up with new words and ideas. Like, what's the? How do you explain that? Some what's the word that you use that means like cool? What's the right. word that you use that means danger? Um, and then over the course and of the different ages, those things can grow and change and be threatened. One of the rules, or like one of the things that the book, the rules mentioned that I love is that you should try to make it as obvious as possible. Uh, which is made yeah. for some really fun moments of just like. Uh, we were trying to come up with the the opposite of a thing, and we just uh, it it happened to be a word. It was ch- the word was chum, uh, like like uh, you know when you chum water, yeah, like chum the yeah. waters. Uh, and someone just took it and turned it or turned it up, turned the paper upside down. And I was like, what about much? <laughs> much is the good thing. <laughs> it was just like much oh, is like a good that's thing. yeah, that's it was good. it was fucking great. Like the, this great. idea of like it doesn't have to be. You don't have to like make it it, it it can be easy to try to to like overthink it kind of you know yeah. it's like some of the best part moments are just like this obvious thing sounds awesome <laughs> like it sounds right. great totally and you'll remember it more uh that game right. is called dialect yes. it's yes. by thorny games uh which is the fi- i have the physical edition the physical edition is awesome <clears throat> it comes in like a, a cool little pouch um all the cards are really well made the book is just like fun to hold but there is also the dialect roll 20 version which i think is like 10 bucks yeah. um yes. so it's it's probably worth they also sell the pdf also. on its own for 10 nice. bucks on the website if you just want to if you want to like print and play or whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah i literally just bought it because i <laughs> found this conversation so fascinating and i figured that i have it's a lot of so time good. to learn how to play new card games now so yeah do it do it yeah i um, didn't um anyone else play anything they want to shout out Rob, are you been um, up to anything besides Doom or Gita? Go ahead. Rob can go. Uh, I'm playing more Frostpunk. Uh, okay. That's the only thing I would say that uh, the last autumn is it's a really good scenario, and it is much more. There's a whole uh, dimension of it that is also about like how do you handle worker unrest. Uh, so hmm. there's 
there's a lot of figuring out what is the correct way of handling workplace safety and who's best positioned to adjudicate that uh, and what is the most effective way to keep your workforce happy and motivated. Um, and so, huh. it's, yeah. Uh, Relevant and, questions. Yeah. And there's, it's, it's an interesting, like I actually ended up falling pretty far down the uh, last autumn rabbit hole in some ways, because it is a really difficult scenario. Like, it is very tough to build the giant generator, given that toward the end of the game, the winter begins to set in and you don't have most of the things that you required in the core game to heat your housing. And you don't you like you are very much up against it toward the end of that game. And every extra set of hands you have working on the machine becomes a lead anchor pulling you under once like the water freezes, the, the ocean freezes and you can't get shipments from home. Uh, so I actually did end up basically losing a lot of last weekend to going back into Frostbunk and, uh, was really impressed by the last autumn. It is a good, it is a, it is a good game for this moment. <laughs> also a, a stressful one. It sounds <laughs> Yeah, I think probably one of the reasons I ended up kind of getting fixated on it is because there are so many. This is what I don't like about the scenario. There's a lot of trap doors hidden in it that once you know mm. they're, they're there, yeah. you now know what to prepare for. But for instance, there will always be a massive workplace accident at the end of the first stage of building the generator that if you haven't taken the right precautions for, you basically have to either take a huge hit to your progress on the machine, or you have to let a bunch of workers die and everyone's going to be furious at you. And that's going to set a lot of bad things in motion. But uh -huh. once you realize that, okay, I need to have hit this safety threshold before such and such a date, uh, the scenario becomes viable in a way that it otherwise wouldn't be. And so it's, 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 it's one of those weird things where a lot of interesting things happen over the course of it. But also, it definitely feels like this is a scenario you kind of solve by trial and error. Um, and that is a little bit disappointing, mm. but it's a lot of fun. Cool. Gita, you had something else, though. Oh, did I talk about playing Stellaris on this? That's Stellaris. That's a game that we just talked like, a lot about. Just, like, Gita, yeah. <laughs> uh-oh. Hello, I have retrograde amnesia. Um, <laughs> I Mysteria. Did I talk about no, Mysterium? No, you did not. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, let's we started talking about tabletop stuff, and yeah. I finally remembered to bring up the fact that after a full calendar year of trying to play it, I played Mysterium, and it was I, as good as I thought it was going to be. I still fucking haven't played it, and I'm mad at myself for it. <laughs> Yo. Did you have dude, it? There's a copy in, in the office right now somewhere. Wait, really? Yeah, we bought well, it for launch. it's going to be there never, for a while. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we never played it. Tell me about Got Mysterium. It. Yo, so... I finally wrapped my head around the rules like just before people came over. So I felt confident in teaching them. I figured out the way to describe it to people, which is that it's Clue, but you're mediums, not just like normal people looking for clues. You're, you're mediums and there's ghosts. Great. I, I played as the ghost because I wanted to give my guests the, like the, the clue type experience. I thought that would be more accessible. Mm -hmm. And um, they actually really wanted to play... Uh, in the way where they didn't show people their 
um, their cards, but they just described the dreams that they received from me. And that so wait, can you explain what that why fun. that's why is that happening? What is the okay? I forgot yes. the part where I have to say what the game is. Uh, this was a huge <laughs> problem. Riley McLeod is not listening to this podcast, but if he is, this was his number one issue with me when I was uh, at Kotaku. Is I would just forget to say what the game is. They're like, oh yeah, there's this game. It's fantastic. Here's some high level commentary. He's like, what is it? Um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Um, yeah, I forgot. I um. In this game, you're a bunch of mediums who are in a mansion who are trying to solve a murder. And everyone's going to receive dreams of the murder from a ghost who is one of the players who can't talk. Um, I played it so I talked okay. between rounds just because I wanted to make sure everyone was feeling comfortable. But in the, uh, like a, a advanced version of this game, the ghost doesn't talk at all from the beginning of the game to the end. And I, um, at the end, uh, everyone's going to receive a full murder scenario, but only one of them is the murder they're trying to solve. So it's huh. slightly different from Clue in that respect, in that they're not pinning it on someone. There mm -hmm. is just going to be, like, a, apparently a lot of murders happen in this mansion. And you just have to figure out which one is the correct murder. Great. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I was playing with a bunch of, like, artistically minded people. Um, my friend, my roommate Raven, who is uh, lovely, and also she's getting a graduate degree in film of some kind. Uh my friend uh, Harry, who is working with like Nan Golden and stuff, is like deep in. He does some art world stuff, and it was they like really wanted to be in character, which was really really interesting. That's very for cool. Me. Yeah, yeah, I love seeing that. These are not people that normally play board games. Uh, this was just a hodgepodge group of people who agreed to come when I asked, <laughs> but it ended up being oh, and Chris Person was there, and he was having a really good time. <laughs> Um, descri describing all the dreams, although he guessed completely wrong about what I was trying to tell him every single time. God, <laughs> like that is the thing that I think I found most like really exciting was just watching people being wrong and just having to be like, I can't. Sure, okay, that's how you analyze that. I have to figure out a different way to talk to you now, right? <laughs> so people would pick up on things in these illustrations that I did not like think that they would and like it got them on completely wrong paths it like honestly made me feel a lot more confident in my belief that like all these things are fake because you can you can interpret things in so many different ways it's impossible to get it right unless you are really close friends with the person and like have formed a mind meld over a period of like 90 minutes right so that's the thing is like you as the ghost have a deck of car have a hand of cards or a deck of cards a deck of cards. Uh, I have a hand, and I'm always supposed to have like seven or so cards in the hand. And then you have to communicate just with those cards. So, like, who did the killing, or what the what the weapon was, yeah. or something, right? You'll sort of go up in a track, and you'll start with uh, who the who did the killing, what the weapon was, what room it was in, and you send out visions regarding you know, what particular part of the track each player is on. There's a way to, like, move upwards okay. so that gets into scoring stuff, which is really complicated. But yeah. essentially, everyone will start off with visions of who the killer is, and they'll and all the, have their own killer. Those visions are the, the I think the one of the things that's, like, so important to understand is, like, the art on that game is, like, very abstract, right? Like, it's like, yeah. here's a black box theater floating in a, cl in a, in the cl yeah. clouds made of, made of uh, yeah, dandelions. Yeah, nothing literal. Right. Nita, I'm, I'm curious, uh, which edition did you play? Um, 
Was there any Polish on the box, basically, is my question. It's a French uh, game, actually. Um, they got some French award, and I don't know how to say it. It's on the box, though. Yeah. Um, I think it, it might be a Polish game. It may, it may have just won yeah. a French award. Uh, I'm pretty. Uh, I am pretty sure it's Polish. I'm pretty sure the yeah, original, or at least the, the original designers are. Well, yeah, because like here's the entry. Because uh, where I was going with this is um, basically, I'm playing the hipster. I was into this before before it was cool. Uh-huh, no, uh-huh. Uh, one. But one of the things that is an interesting decision they made was when they did the English version, they changed the art. Uh, so, I, like in the podcast huh. channel, like. There's a deck of the scene cards from the Polish edition, and I'm curious if that stuff looks familiar or whether your edition looked different. Oh wow! Because I remember playing, uh, like I ended up playing at both both editions, and just the weird thing to me was the Polish edition. I think there's also some rule changes that were made as well, but I remember the the Polish edition also just had like even more weirdly abstract art in some ways. Like it, it, there was an unsettling quality to it. Uh, and then it seemed like the English edition went for a little bit more of like a clue looking presentation. Uh, and it did, it did change the dynamics around the table of how people tried to describe like, like how, how people tried to describe the dream. Right. Uh, whereas the, like when we were playing off the Polish cards, it did have a more dreamlike quality because it was harder to figure out like, what the fuck am I looking at? What is the, because you're, you're doing like color and like shape association in some ways, right? Where it's like, uh, you're, you're trying to communicate in this. Yeah. You're, you're trying to like give people these, like you're trying to invoke these weird associations that aren't one-to-one. Um, are these I don't know. The, so, like, are these the, so wait, there's dream cards. There's also location cards, right? Yeah. The dream cards are the ones that the, the players get to okay. clue them in. I think these are the ones that Rob is talking about. And I sh- the ones that are I just searched the Polish name of this game. Okay. The, to try to find the edition. And these are were not cards I saw in mine. Some of them were similar. Oh, but wow. you can these see like really the level cool. of abstraction yeah. that you're at. A lot of them I would pick like I would give them to people and be like, I want a full size print of this, please. <laughs> like <Yeah>. they were <laughs> you really like had to stretch your brain in order to sort of divine what people were saying to you. And I would, that feeling of like passing something and just thinking like, look at the like red thread, like look at the red thread, please, please look at that. That is the part I need you to look at. And then the not fucking doing it. (laughs) You definitely feel like a restless spirit who no one will help or mourn, right? Where where you're like, no, I was killed with this thing. I was killed. The kite is, look at the kite. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Please, I'm begging you. God, that's very good. Um, I need to. I, I. I will say it is. It is sad to think about not playing. Like, oh wow, I'd love to play this board game. Like, no, no, you, you're not gonna. We're gonna be in this my apartment until forever. No more board games. Well, there's uh, tabletop simulator. I guess there is tabletop and simulator. And there's Vassal. Um, Does anyone really use Vassal anymore, Rob? Oh, Vassal's huge among Wargamers. Is it gamers. still huge? Oh, sure. Sure, sure, yeah, sure, sure. So, sure. you know, there's, there's some very good Vassal modules. The problem is you need to know how to play the game. Like, that's yeah. always, like, Vassal doesn't do any administration, which is the... Right, where, sure. Where it gets tricky, because 
it becomes harder th- to play than a board game because board games have sort of physical logic to their yeah. layout. A Vassal module doesn't necessarily. Right, right. Uh, shout outs to Vassal, the OG. Um, if that's it, I think we should probably wrap up. We can go for a little bit. Uh, I, I, this is not the uh, episode 300 I think any of us expected, but given the situation <laughs> and given how, how you know, pulled off into different directions we all are right now and given the circumstances i hope you enjoyed it uh as always you can follow me on twitter at austin underscore walker where people find you gita you can find me on twitter uh at xoxo gossipita and i'm also on instagram look forward to lots of pictures of my cat hell yeah uh kato at a underscore kato underscore appears and rob oh i'm just at home you know you're just hanging out just chilling Great. Easy to find these days. At Rob at Rob Zachney. You follow everything we do <laughs> at turner.com slash waypoint, waypoint.advice.com. Go read Gita's uh, uh Animal Crossing review. What else is up? What else is up this this week for people to go read? Oh, this week? Man, I think it's just Animal Crossing, dude. Oh, there is a neat story about No Man's Sky that I did yesterday. Okay. Um, two days ago for people listening to this, about people in No Man's Sky trying to combat social distancing or like the isolation of social distancing by going to a, ga- uh, a galaxy that is just incredibly easy to find and telling everyone the address so that people can come and hang out. And I think it's really sweet. Awesome. Um, yeah. Should also read uh, this thing by Natalie Flores about sort of the latest twist in the ongoing saga of Final Fantasy fourteen. I can't read this, uh, Rob. This is about a thing I haven't gotten to yet. But other people should. Other people should, even if you don't... As somebody who could not give a damn about Final Fantasy XIV in the way of like following it that closely, it's still an interesting piece because it is kind of getting at, it's charting how in some ways Final Fantasy XIV has already been kind of a subversive fantasy narrative through its history, mm-hmm. but then also how the most recent turns really start to put their finger on uncomfortable tropes about like the way, the way your average RPG makes it so that of course you're the person who should have all this agency and decision-making power because you're the hero. Like, of course you should be the one to make mm-hmm. this call. And now in final <laughs> fantasy 14, basically somebody's come along and it's like, you know, anyone could be a hero. Everyone, the, the power is already inside you. You could all, Damn. you could all do things. And that person is up to no fucking good, but the game is kind of pointing out like, okay, but what is the case you're going to make against it being bad that people are exercising their own agency. Uh, and I think that's an interesting, an interesting through line. Totally. Um, all right. Well, uh, go read that. I'm will very patiently continue playing that game until I can, until I'm allowed to read it, <laughs> which will probably be in another 50 hours. So we'll see. Maybe, maybe longer. I, mm, I took a Final Fantasy 14 <laughs> break, but I'm getting, I'm getting the, the, the urge to go back now and do one You're last sprint. Now, yeah, now I am. I am social distance. I'm social distance, but I've been playing Grand Blue. I've been playing, like, I, I, started, I started playing Fantasy Star Online 2 because that's an open beta on Xbox now. Like, there's other... I, I'm social distance and also I social distance myself from Final Fantasy 14 to kind of, like, cleanse the palate. <laughs> but now I think I'm ready to go back and, and finish, finish the fight, as it were. You know, I think part of me is like, once I'm done, then what? Then what do I do? 
and the answer is anything else with my life but but it's still hard to like close the book you know so uh, it's an mmo it keeps going yeah but i i actually think part of it is if i finish it uh-huh. i might not keep going sure and so I what if i stop now if i stop now i can't quit later Caps head three times. <laughs> you know what you I'm saying? To, you know, you could just have the same relationship I have with Destiny, which is play it sometimes. Right. Play it sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. All right, that's gonna do it for us. I hope everyone has a, a good enough weekend. We'll see you on Monday with some more. Uh as always, thank you to Bowen for letting us use the track miss you off the EP Pale Machine. Find out more about that. Waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. Stay safe and as always, fuck capitalism. Go home. Peace. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Right, we should send these files over. Yes, please. I should do that. I will do that for Kado. Thank Not you. for anyone but only else. For Kado. Only for, <laughs> for Kado. Sound <laughs> files just for me. <laughs> Kado, if I hear my vocal track on the produced episode, I'm gonna be pissed. What? Just for you. Oh shit! Don't <laughs> leave me out of the mix. No. Uh, just people like, oh, what do you think? It'll be Rob? like Mysteri- Everyone can play Mysterio right, now. Right. Everyone will be like, <laughs> yeah. what was what was Rob saying? And God. then I'll just like leave cryptic uh, images. Yeah. Uh, I'll just on there. yeah. Send me, me some Mysterium cards. Send me some Mysterium cards for each of your sections, and I'll you know I'll just pipe myself in reading out descriptions of them. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Have a good one, everybody. everybody. Yeah. You too. Peace. Bye. Hello. Hello. Hi. What's up? I was just uh, playing this game. Wait, wait, which one? Solaris? Solaris, yeah. Right, good. Well, we when you open Audacity. Hang on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should do a clap also. Um, All right. Audacity is open. Can you actually Kata, do, do you want to just start fav- a new file? No. Everyone okay. else keep recording. We'll clap again. Uh, Gita, can you do me a favor and angle your mic uh, out like more straight. Yeah, that's better. Hello. Yes, thank I'm you. Gita. Okay. No problem. I don't know how. I'd never use this. <laughs> it's more or less decoration in my home. <laughs> it's because good. when I go home from work, the last thing I want to do is play a video game. Fair. Extremely fair. Um. All right. We should time that is. Are you recording? Oh yes, me. Yes, I you. Uh-huh. Okay. We should go to time dot is and do a clap. Uh, you want to do 55 seconds. Nice.
It's very funny that you that to you that sounded nice. It's fine. It's <laughs> my different. Sounded good over here. It's just yeah. different internets. My internet's just not there, uh, as people who tried to watch my Stellaris stream may have known. That sounded like the really really you slow gotta... clap from that one Radiohead album, "Hail to the Thief," yes. on that one song, where everyone's uh-huh. clapping on a different note. On a different note, yeah. To clap. yeah. <laughs> That's what it sounded like to me. God. Wow. Uh, you had, you got like a solid seven hours at the end there. Yeah, it was fine. Once I dropped it to 720p, it was totally fine. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> parents in the neighborhood around us were like, they're letting maybe their kids all hang out already, and they just they, they just decided like this is the bubble we're going to be in. I'm choosing not to think they're being that responsible. Uh-huh. But it's like there's six kids playing out in front, and then the house next to us, she can see them and hear them, and then I have to be the one that's like. We no. have to walk past them, shut the door, and you're not allowed to play with them as she screams at me. Uh, as the rain keeps everybody inside. Or if we go out to like right. jump in puddles, it's like minimal contact with people. She could be like, I want to go play or say hi. Mm-hmm. Ugh. That mm-hmm. sucks. That's really tough. Is this any better? Uh, yeah, it might be. Yeah, it I might be. So. Whoa, Whoa, I think you're on the wrong mic. Yeah. You're good now, Kata. <laughs> yeah. That did it. Awesome. Love Wait. Love to. Nope. Oh, is it? It might be slipping. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out in the next like three minutes. <sighs> Fucking. Hell. Yeah, it's gone. It's, <laughs> it's. Okay. Great. Love it. All right. All right. Okay. Let's just roll. I'm just going to turn that got. off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, ready to clap whenever. Oh shit, no. Okay. Uh sorry, I was looking at Elon Musk being an asshole, so No. Yep. Um <laughs> Nate uh, Silver, can you just explain explain can you t- can you look up a spreadsheet of where the hospitals are that I need to fucking piece of shit. All right. Yeah. Uh let's do are we all ready? Are we all time to do this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, forty. Forty. Okay. Put my notes. What's happening? They're, they're underneath the chat. There we go. 